Hey, this is Eddie Olchek. You're listening to Empty Betters with Nick, Mac, and Harrison. Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to episode 103 of Empty Betters. I'm your host, Harrison Scholes, and I'm going to toss it across the screen to my co-host, Nick Manella. How are we doing, buddy? Welcome back, man. Muchas gracias, amigo. Yeah, I'm doing okay. How are you doing? Uh, I'm surviving. Um, It was a good week off. I definitely missed uh, you guys. I listened to the last episode, and I was wishing I was there, but I had to take care of some business down in Mexico, so... You know, um, had a good time, enjoyed the weather. This cold up here absolutely fucking sucks. But, you know, we're, we're back. It's good to be back in the routine, I'll admit. Um, not eating 25 tacos a day and getting fat, so that's nice. Um, Mac, how you doing? I'm doing good. I, uh, I got to say, I'm in a really good mood. I just got back from trip in Baltimore slash D.C., where I was lucky enough to see two Caps games and a Ravens game. Somehow went 3-0 and across those. Got two Caps wins and a Ravens win. That third, that second one that I just mentioned was a little bit more difficult, but we pulled it out. Um, got to see an OV hat trick. That was really awesome. Uh, it was my first time back at a live NHL game in like almost 700 days. I actually counted because I was that bored for wow. moments <laughs> while I was at home. But uh, yeah, I'm in a good mood. Driving off of that, feel lucky to have been able to go to all three of those contests and. Um, yeah, I'm happy to be back in Milwaukee now, too. Awesome. Yeah, no, I saw that you got to go to three sporting events and three and O's, obviously a uh, made out like a bandit. Honestly, good little. Yeah, good little streak to go on there. That Ovi game too. Uh, one of our one of our sponsors, Yachtlander. I think it was his first ever NHL game. He gets seats like really? what? Yeah, it was like wow. seven rows behind the glass. Yeah, he's an Ovi hat. He picked a think- good one. Yeah. I think he spoiled forever. I might have ruined it. Yeah, and his second NHL game is going to be a Caps Penguins game too. So this kid's living yes. the dream. Yes, yeah, we will know, be. Um, speaking of first, I actually know that same game. A uh, friend of the pod, Connor Van, his little nephew, only a couple years old, I think that was his first Caps game as well, and got to see an Ovi hat trick. So nice. Uh, pretty lucky. Yeah, and as Nick mentioned, we will be at the uh, Caps-Pens game at Cap 1 on December 10th. I believe that's a Friday night. So Correct. Keep an eye out for that. Come say hi. Uh, we'll, we'll be there. Um, before we get rolling here, um, fall merch. You guys know that we just did a brand new fall merch drop. Go check out the store for that. One item that I don't think a lot of people have seen uh the winning bets on empty nets t i'm about to get my hands on it i'll be throwing up some pictures of that but in lieu of a big columbus puck line hit against vancouver the other night on an empty net ironically uh figured that would be a good shirt to throw up on the story so we went ahead and did that go check out the store if you have not just in time for christmas if you're shopping around um in an intern search If you guys know anyone or if you are a person who has social media experience, content creation or anything along those lines, uh, give us a buzz. Nick Mac, I think you guys handled some type of form that you made. Yep, there's there's an application that's on the link in our bio. Fill it out. You have to be a student enrolled at a college or university currently. Uh, And then other than that, we can help work with your internship department to get you guys some course credit. So, yeah, fill that out and join the team. Why not? Have some fun. 
Yeah, there's, uh, like you said, a Google Doc, and the main thing we need is obviously resume, cover letter, all that fun stuff. Um, but yeah, we would love to have any of you jump aboard and join in on the fun. If you need any further details on that, you know, send an email to emptybetters at gmail.com and we can help you out. We do have uh, the LLC created, so that kind of helps legitimize the internship a little bit with your professors. Uh, giveaway winner, Nick. Yeah. Shout out to Brooke. Brooke taking home the the giveaway prize here. Uh, she was super excited when I, when I let her know about it. So uh, Brooke, your stuff is in the mail or it'll be coming to you soon, either the next time I bump into you because um, I do see Brooke quite a bit or just I'll mail it. So thank you to everyone that participated. If you didn't win, don't feel bad. It will not be the last. There'll be plenty more of those coming soon. There was a lot of entries, wasn't there? There was. Yeah. That was uh, pretty, pretty satisfied with that. Yeah. What about like 80 or so, something like Closer that? Closer to 100 by the time we wrapped it up. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that is good. We appreciate everybody. Yeah, appreciate everybody participating. And Mac, I'm going to let you announce today's interview guest. Yeah. So um, for those of you who have been with us since I believe episode 50, when we had uh, Stephen Baker on, one of my old teammates and friends from childhood, uh, he talked a lot about you know his career at JMU and with the Baltimore Stars and even his high school career with St. Paul's Hockey. Uh, well, today we're actually going to have his older brother on, Sean Baker. Um, he's going to talk to us about his uh, playing career at St. Paul's High School, his playing career at UVM, that's the Vermont Catamounts, um, and then his coaching career now with uh, Baltimore Stars and St. Paul's, I believe. I, I know he is coaching. I know he's head coaching. Um, St. Paul's, he's actually at a game right now and he's going to be coming back from that just in time for us to interview him. But, uh, yeah, you'll hear a lot more about him and, and his, uh, extended hockey, uh, catalog when he jumps on. So I know currently Stephen Baker has the lead for most listens. <laughs> I have a feeling that this one might drive it a hard bargain. Just a little, uh, just a little feeling, but we'll see how it goes. I'm excited. Yeah, absolutely. I'm excited too. I, I knew Sean a little bit. Um, when I was younger, when I started playing, he was in an age group older than me. So I knew him before I knew, uh, before I knew Steven. So I'm excited to chat with him. I mean, I'm talking to future me right now. We're recording this before we've actually interviewed him. So, um, it'll be a good one. Can you and tell future you me to what to bet tonight? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have, yeah, I know. I don't have any, uh, any inkling there. I, I was going to ask you guys how you feel about the, uh, Caps playing the uh, Cats down in Florida. Tough. Man, I feel like that a tough one because we just beat them and it's a damn are. good team. It's hard to imagine we beat them twice in one week, but the Caps are hottest team in hockey right now, arguably. So I don't know. It's tough. Yeah, we'll get to all that a little later on. But um, before we officially get to the news, Mac, you want to do the question of the day? Uh, you thought of it. Why don't you? Why don't you lead the boat on this one? So I can't remember the Twitter account that I saw this on, but given the uh, what's the proper term I'm going to use here, the amount of sucking off that we're seeing on the Ovechkin teat, if you will, um, I would call it, you know, long overdue (laughs) hype, but deservedly so, by the way, I'm giving credit. Little column A, little column B, you know, what do you Yes, Ovechkin's probably the uh, hottest player in hockey right now, just Got first star of the week in the NHL. So my question to you two and to all of Caps fans is what would be more impressive in your opinion if Ovi finished above Gretzky in the all-time goal scoring or if he captained the Washington Capitals to their second ever Stanley Cup at the age of 36 as their best player? So just 
to get this clear, it's he either wins another Stanley Cup and does not pass Gretzky or passes Gretzky and does not touch the cup again. Correct. Correct. And okay. my caveat to that is if he were to win the cup, he's playing like he is right now. It's not like he's 42 and has some number one prospect carrying the load. Like he's the captain. He's the best player. He's doing it all. And gotcha. so in that situation, we can imagine that he probably comes damn close to the goal record, but just like retired. Third or second. Yeah. Something Third like or second. Yeah. Okay. All right. See, it's hard for me to imagine this because I just like, I know if he was close, he'd like keep going. But all right, for the for the sake of the question, I do think technically, I mean, the, the way you word it is what would be more impressive. I think to me, it would be more impressive if he led the team to another Stanley Cup just at that age. We've seen it time and time again. There's been a lot of good hockey teams recently lose in the Stanley Cup finals because they look a little too old, a little too slow, and they're getting beat by younger players a lot of times and faster teams. So I think that if he were actually able to, and I do think he could, you know, I'm not saying it like it's a total hypothetical because I do think he could, but that to me would be more impressive. I already know that Ovi can score goals. I already know he's, in my opinion, the best goal scorer that the hockey world has ever seen. So, I mean, he's already basically impressed me as much as he's going to with the goal scoring thing to me, the number and beating Gretzky is just, it's, it's just a number, honestly. Like I would love him to do it, but I, he doesn't need to prove anything to me in that department. No, it's like the blue check Mark next to your name on Twitter, or Instagram. It's like, we all know you just, exactly. yeah. Uh, I'm going to agree with you. I'm wondering if like in 10 years, him beating the goal record would be more significant than winning a Stanley Cup. Because I think in the next five years, a Stanley Cup would 100% be much more impressive. Fair argument. I do think it is worth noting that since the 2005 lockout when Ovi entered the league, if he were to win the Stanley Cup this year and captain it at age 36 – he would be the second oldest captain to win the Stanley Cup since that lockout, only behind 2008 Detroit Red Wings' Nick Lidstrom, who was 38 years old. Granted, Lidstrom was still a beast even at that age, but to call him like the best player on the team who like really carried the load, I think might be a little bit of a hefty uh, accusation. So also, the team more was loaded, so it was. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, Lidstrom played a key role in that cup run, but I don't think you could say he was like their only like guy, or he absolutely put the team on his back. It was a collective effort from a stacked team, like you said. Right. So just something to think about. It got my brain. Uh, wheeling and dealing over the weekend when I saw that tweet again. I can't remember who said that, but yeah. um, I mean, like you said, the hockey world has been talking a lot about Ovi lately. So mm -hmm. be curious to hear what our fans have to say, tweet at us with your uh, opinions on that. So before I give Nick the keys to the bus, uh, we want you to know that this episode is brought to you by Brackish Life. Let's take a minute to talk about Brackish Life. If you're like us and grew up on the water and outdoors, then Brackish Life is perfect for you. They have a wide selection of gear from UV shirts to hoodies and hats. It's Real Bay apparel made by Real Bay people. Head to www.brackish.life today to check them out. A little salty, a little fresh, brackish life. Brackish Life has also teamed up with Rink to Reef Chesapeake Bay to preserve the area many of us call home. Rink to Reef repurposes broken hockey sticks into oyster restoration habitats. Brackish Life donates a portion of their proceeds to Rink to Reef to further preserve the beautiful Chesapeake Bay area. Support this great cause by checking out www.brackish.life today. It came to my attention <laughs> mid 
came to my attention mid ad read that Mac was chugging a beer for the duration of my ad read. So that's why I sped it up at the end to try to help your brain freeze a little bit. Appreciate you. It was a uh, little thing that Nick and I were goofing around with last episode when you weren't here. And I remembered that about halfway through that ad read. And then I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for it. So why not? Is that cold beer? Dumb question. Um, It's pretty cold. I took it out of the fridge maybe 20 minutes before we hopped on. So one of the things I'm not a very, uh, what's the word? Global guy. I'm kind of a homebody. I'll admit it. Uh, When we were down in Mexico, they don't serve beer like cold out of a fridge. It's kind of like room temp. It's disgusting to me. I was very (laughs) thrown off. One of my business ideas is to just pack up, leave everything, go to the Caribbean and start like a bar that's on the water that I run fishing and diving tours out of. And like my claim to fame is I'm able to keep the beer like North American cold, like the way we like it. Wow. There you go. Yeah. Start selling coolers south of the border. And- yeah. Or just like, you know, get like one of those, like, you know, dry ice, like double walled, like mugs that everyone has like their beer in or something, but it'll never work. If you need some startup funds, let me know. Sure. Um, but I'm going to let you take the league news. Sure. So I actually think, um, you know, COVID's not a good thing, but I actually think this came at a good time for the Islanders because they had their schedule postponed through at least November 30th, which is today, due to COVID-19. That was due to a bunch of players testing positive, and they just had to postpone the games, which, if you haven't noticed, based on how they're playing at home, might be good for the team to regroup a little bit. So, uh, I totally agree with you. I was thinking the same thing because that I believe the first game that got postponed for them was uh, Rangers versus Islanders. It and- was. They boy, did they need to just like not play that game yet, especially against like another Metro team. Like you just kind of need to get out for a little bit. They knew. I I mean, I was looking at that one on the board, ready to hammer the Rangers money line because they're just the Islanders need to get their shit together for sure. And, you know, we can talk about that a little bit later in the episode, but I just figured I would intervene because boy, are they real. And and I was talking uh, to a friend recently about how, like you said earlier, Harry, we're about a quarter of the way through the season already. In the Metropolitan Division, if you find yourself in the basement quarter of the way through the season, it can be pretty tall task to uh, dig yourself out of that hole. So uh, something to keep our eyes on. For sure. Uh, the Burger Van is on his way out of Montreal. Uh, they fired Mark Bergevan, their GM. They made sweeping changes to their front office on Sunday. Uh, fo- also fired their EVP. And their assistant general manager, Trevor Timmons, as well as senior vice president of public affairs and communications, Paul Wilson. And this is all off the back of the Habs being off to their worst start in franchise history, which I feel like people aren't talking about enough. This is a hockey team that's been around for 100 years, and they're off to their worst start in franchise history after just being in the Stanley Cup final. I mean, this is nuts. Yeah, it's not looking great up there. Um, I know in the season preview, I've said it the last three years. I was finally right this time, so that that's nice. But um, without Carey Price in net, obviously he's been in the assistance program. He's practicing with the team now. They are just a not good hockey team. And I'm, I hate to say it like that, but when you lose your captain in Shea Weber, you lose your best player in Carey Price, and then you lose a couple offensive pieces that were real key last year. Had to year. send down Caulfield to the AHL. Yeah, they're just they're struggling right now. And um, I think a lot of us saw it coming when we heard about Weber breaking his ankle, Carey not starting this year off the bat. I think that I think it's time to kind of fold the cards and uh, just accept that the season's an L. Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw, but uh, Bar Down posted this. There was a kid at uh, I can't think who does Shane Wright play for Uh, Kingston Frontenacs. He brought the Habs jersey and taped um, right on the back with number 51. It was like slamming on the glass. And 
Shane just like looks back and he's like smiling at it. And he's like, motherfucker, I'm going to end up there. Aren't I? He's like, not um, there anywhere, but there, please. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of pressure. Um, but yeah, they're, they're struggling right now. I have heard that Danny Briere is rumored to be one of the favorites to be the next GM. He's pretty- high up on the list. And apparently was said today that he would like die to get that phone call. So. And I think they said that they're going to hire a French general manager. I, I, yes. I might be mistaken on they that. They did come out no. and say that. Okay. Yeah. Makes sense. It um, does. Yeah. I mean, we went through this with them when they were going to hire their new coach. So, um, you know, we know the system that they have, mayor, uh, they have there. Uh, they did bring in former Rangers GM Jeff Gorton uh, to serve as their EVP of hockey operations. No, Marty, do not start running around. That's Gorton with a T, not Gordon with a D. So calm down. <laughs> not the NASCAR. Not you know. the NASCAR driver uh, and the greatest of all time. Uh, Fenway Sports Group has purchased the Pittsburgh Penguins for around $900 million. Um, I think that's intent to purchase. I don't know if anything final has gone through yet. Pending league approval, um, nine hundred million was about the value that Elliot Friedman tweeted out about two days ago. It's rumored to be somewhere between seven fifty and nine hundred, somewhere in that ballpark. Um, that s- transaction won't be finalized until the end of this calendar year. So yeah, it takes a while not, to get that stuff done. It does. A lot of paperwork involved. Um, I'm assuming you're going to ask me for my thoughts on this. So should I just go or? Yeah, what? no, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. Um, so I did a little bit of research. You, Nick, you're more of a soccer fan than I am. What's, I am. what's up with Liverpool? Like, hate is that him. absolutely uh, fucking hate them? All right, but like in terms of as as an organization, like annoying little pretentious shits. <laughs> That's all you need to know. Oh my god! But in terms of like winning, what are we? What are oh, we they're stacked. About? Okay, yeah, they're like they're yeah, the they're Yankee loaded soccer yeah. or whatever. Right. Yeah. So they're one of like, what you would call the big four in the the English Premier League. Okay, so that makes me feel a little bit better because there were a bunch of Liverpool fans like commenting like this ownership group will destroy your team, blah blah blah. I was like, oh shit, and I don't know anything about soccer, so I was like, well, do they the suck? fans are just nuts. So okay, yeah. yeah. Um, for those of you who are unaware, Fenway Sports Group, known as FSG in this case, uh, they currently own the Boston Red Sox. Surprise, surprise. Uh, the Liver Liverpool Football Club and Roosh or Roche? Roush. Almost Fenway Racing, Roush Fenway Racing. So the Red Sox ownership, I mean, the Red Sox are always a good team. That makes me feel kind of good. Granted, MLB doesn't have any salary cap. This is probably why they might not have paid Mookie bets is what all the Red Sox fans were saying. Max Scherzer's contract will tell you that the MLB doesn't have a salary cap. Yeah. Um, I mean, they've come out said publicly that Lemieux and Burkle will remain minority owners and that they will still be in charge of hockey ops. There's not going to be any management changes in the immediate future. David Morehouse will remain the CEO. Hextall remain the GE or the GM and Sullivan as the head coach. I have read a couple of tweets that rumored that they're in favor of keeping Malkin and Latang. I believe that was part of the discussions of purchasing the team that Lemieux and Burkle had promises on the table that they feel like need to be held up. So I have no idea. I could be totally wrong. If the Penguins end up blowing the end of the season, that could all change. But I think in general, I'm pretty happy with it. It seems like these guys have a, a good track record of, you know, having teams that win and have winning cultures. So, you know, as much as I don't want to admit it, I, if this can help mitigate the impact and blow that, happens to us after Crosby and Malkin are gone, then I'm all for it. And I think that's what this step is, is kind of preparing for that next era or chapter. 
Yeah, it's kind of hard to say, like, how much does an ownership group actually affect, you know, the on ice or on track or on pitch or on, you know, baseball field product for these guys. But at the end of the day, these are the guys that are bankrolling everything. So, you know, money talks. Indeed, it does, which is why I am somewhat happy about this, I guess. It's hard to comment on. I mean, I think the fact that Mario is still there leaves me happy because obviously that would be a huge PR nightmare if they were to shit can him right off the bat but they can't take away his ownership because that's how they had to pay him for like the last however many years he was there right you want to talk about a payday i believe lemieux at the time he became part owner the penguins owed him like 24 million in salary and he pitched in at like the start like 90 something million to help buy the team and just sold out for 900 million so (laughs) you want to talk about a, a good investment holy shit mario made out well on this one yeah for sure uh, moving on, the Devils have signed Jack Hughes to an eight by eight contract worth a total of $64 million. The kid got paid, the former first overall pick. For reference, uh, Nico Heischer signed a seven year deal with basically an AAV of $7 million. So those are the two big deals on that team right now. Mac, you got any thoughts on this? Well, I. Uh... I know that this is what the what the Devils and what most Devils fans have been waiting for for a while now. I mean, to me, it seems like Hughes is pretty much their guy moving forward. Like this is going to be the future of the team. They're, you know what? As bad as they can be, they're not a bad team, and they're they're really getting closer. Honestly, like each year, I think they've taken some pretty serious steps to becoming an actual like competitive team in that already very competitive division. Um, but yeah, I mean, these are their guys for anyone who's not familiar with the team, doesn't watch them that much. Jack Hughes, Nico, he's When those guys are healthy, they're running and gunning in New Jersey. Nick, I like this deal. I think in three years, this could be an, like an underpay for Jack Hughes. If he keeps progressing to what we think his like, you know, ceiling can be, then I think the devils might have this guy locked up for, you know, five of these eight years. I had a great term. I think he's. Better than Quinn, and that's saying a lot, honestly. So, yeah, I think um, I'm a little surprised at the term because, to be honest with you, he hasn't really had any steady production in his career so far. I mean, no offense, I'm not calling him a bust by any means, but in terms of first overall picks and first two seasons, this is not one of the strongest campaigns we've seen. He came out of the gate, guns blazing, and then obviously got injured. He's back in the lineup tonight on November 30th against the San Jose Sharks. He'll probably put up like two goals or something. Did you see the tweet that he he tweeted this morning? Yeah. It was something so like, cool. I'm in the mood to play some hockey tonight or something like that. Yeah. yeah. He's a pretty likable kid. I mean, it's hard. You know, good old American boy. Gotta love that. So I'm happy for him. I think 64 mil is probably going to end up being fair um, in the long run. I'm a little surprised there was no bridge deal. Personally, I think he sure kind of earned his contract prior to getting it. I think he had like two 50-point seasons right out of the gate. Hughes hasn't done that yet. So, I mean, I have no doubt he'll get to where we think he can get, but little much for a guy who hasn't proven much yet, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that at this point. Yeah, time will tell. Uh, another guy that's dealing with money, but he's actually losing it right now is the New York Rangers, Artemi Panarin. He was fined five Gs for throwing his glove at 
Boston Bruins forward Brad Marchand. So this is the first of two circus events that we're going to talk about during the news. One is this one. We'll get to the second one in a, in a few more points. But basically what happened was, if you haven't seen the video, go look it up. It's hysterical. Panarin and Marchand are at the their end of their respective benches, and they're chirping back and forth right in front of the, you know, between the glass reporter. Marshawn says something. Panarin's reaction is just to take off his glove and throw it at him. Did you see what the quote was that I came did. out today? Yeah. He said, no one likes you in Russia. So apparently that was a reference to the fact that Panarin has been openly critical of Russian President Vladimir Putin. And uh, I don't think it's any secret that that's probably not a recipe for success. <laughs> yeah. Um, continue. Sorry. Yeah. So this is, uh, you know, this is interesting. He gets fined for throwing uh you know, a glove at someone. What did you guys think of this? Did you think this was ridiculous? Did you think this was hysterical? You know, what are your thoughts here? So when I first saw it, I mean, the video itself is very funny. I thought it was funny and I laughed a lot. I shared <laughs> it with people. It's uh, it's objectively a funny video. Um, then I saw that Marshan's comments on it were he said something like, he asked me what I had for Thanksgiving dinner and he didn't like my meal or something like that. And then he threw the glove, which like, okay, yeah, that's funny. I just assumed it was like one of those things where like they're not going to talk about what they said. Then I find out, you know, we hear that Marshan said the thing about Russia. And to me, that's kind of a below the belt blow. Like, I think that it's a cheap shot, like calling, like saying, yeah. like, no one in your country likes you. Um, well, especially when just it's not like, true, but also it's just, I mean, no matter what side of the political spectrum you're on, I think we can all agree that Panarin speaking out against Panarin speaking out against Putin and being like openly not a big fan of his is it's brave at the very least. It's, I don't have know, balls that big. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So like it, the fact that Marshan's really going to like, go go with that there's a million things you could probably chirp artemi panarin for that aren't that and like just leave it to marshan because he's a little weasel to you know grab the lowest hanging fruit there and and you know kick him in the balls basically so i don't blame panarin for for getting upset there and flinging the glove at him it is still kind of funny but you know i don't i don't like to see players especially marshan when it's stuff like you know just typical marshan stuff i not a fan of his, never have been. He's a great hockey player, but I think he should shut his mouth sometimes. So I um I just love when hockey players revert to like two year olds and just start throwing like temper tantrums like this. <laughs> yeah. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in the second oh, yeah. circus event. But uh I got on the fly on and they're showing that second circus event right okay. now that we're about to talk about. So this does make for the greatest chiff of all time. I mean, this is phenomenal content. Mm -hmm. Um it, it is a very funny video. So to go off Max point. I think I, I kind of agree, and I'm gonna I'm gonna twist the analogy. I'm I'm not gonna go say it's below the belt, but I think you hit the belt buckle. Like it's real close, right? Like I think it's a little personally. I think it's a little funny, but it's also like right at the point where you know he did have to take an absence of leave last year to have lawyers like help him and stuff um, get out of that political turmoil. If he would have said something like, "Hey, I hope you know." the russians like kill you or something like obviously that's not funny and right not that's not cool but i see, think that's he left my it point i mean that yeah. situation was so intense at one point in time that like we were actually all sort of scared for our temi panarin's safety like that for was sure. what the absence of their leave of absence was about so to me even like 
bringing that whole thing up is is like making light of a subject yeah. that's pretty serious. So I mean that's the, that's why I say it's below the belt. But no, and your and your reasoning is justified. I think he, in my opinion, I I I'm, obviously I'm just me, but I think he left it vague enough where it was like, oh, like no one likes you in Russia. Like that's like the if he would have gone like one little millimeter further than that. I feel like that's when you start talking about, oh, that's kind of fucked up. But I think he left it vague enough where, you know, if you have a slight cruel sense of humor, it's a little funny in my opinion. But <laughs> I think it's um, it's the way Marshawn plays the game, right? It's it's yeah. slightly over the edge constantly. And that's just him. That's who he's been the whole time. And, and it's always a new thing, right? You know, we had the licking. Yep. Now we've got the I'm going to I'm going to tease you about your freaking personal life. And right. like. You know, it, like you said, it's always like one toke over the line. So, yes. Uh, yeah. Moving on, uh, Chris Russell. This is, I think this is so cool. And I, it's amazing me that no one's talking about this. Chris Russell became the NHL's all time block shot leader the other day and the first player to record over 2,000 block shots. So, he had three block shots in the first 10 minutes of Saturday's game against Vegas. And the Oilers' blue liner leapfrog Brent Seabrook into first place all time. It is amazing. I agree with you. It's crazy that more people are not talking about this. And when I saw that stat, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Nobody's blocked that many shots. That's what I was saying. And this guy of all people is the leader like that. Nobody freaking talks about this guy. I then proceeded to look him up on our fantasy league because we do get points for blocked shots. And it's funny because the dude does not score a lot. He really doesn't have all that many assists. But he actually had a pretty respectable like season total of fantasy points, and it's all from the block shot. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I guess if you need a rental for a week to get yourself uh, a couple more points, not a bad option. But I was just shocked. I would have never guessed that, to be honest. But is uh, it like was it one of these things where it's like they just started tracking this stat in like 1999 or something? It could have something to do with that. I I know in general, a lot of stats were not tracked to the degree that they are now uh, before like the eighties even. Um, So it could be one of those things, but I would still argue there's a pretty good chance that the further you go back, the less guys were blocking shots because equipment was worse. Most of them didn't wear helmets. So they're not going to dive down onto the ground to get in the way of one. So I would still argue, even if you were able to go back in time and record everybody's stats from the 80s and 90s. He might still have it. He might still have it. So that's very impressive impressive regardless. Yeah, I think he would still have it. I mean, I'm going to assume either the stat just started getting tracked maybe in like the mid 90s or late 90s. Or there's just a lot more shots these days than there used to be, which I also think is true. But yeah, it's probably all these things. I mean, did you already read like who he beat out uh, Seabrook and just for reference, Girardi's three, Ron Hainsey four, Duncan Keith five. Shocking. Um, that's a top five. Yeah. Uh, the Minnesota Wild have announced that they plan to retire Miko Koivu's number nine on March 13th. Koivu will be the first player in Wild history to have his number retired. Pop quiz. They do have another banner hanging up there. What number is it and who is it for? The Wild. Oh God. Um, it's the, it's the expansion Jersey, isn't it? Didn't it's, we talk about that? They retired the number one for their fans. <laughs> yes. We talked about that when we, cause it was 2000. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause their fans are the best, right? Uh, that's <laughs> annoying. And Mac but, went on a rant about the goalies who can't play there. And we're number one. I remember that. Yeah, yes. that's right. Um, yeah. It's funny to me. I didn't think that he was going to be the first player ever for the wild to get retired, but I mean, it makes sense. I always forget that the wild, 
have only been a thing since 2000, 2001. Yeah. And he has, I mean, he's the guy that was there the longest. I mean, absolutely. He deserves it. With the exception of being dealt to Columbus. And I don't even think he ever played a game for him. Um, No, he didn't. Yeah. You know, that was really his only team. So hats off to him. Uh, Karel Vegmelka, don't know if I got that right, but close enough, stopped 46 (laughs) shots. Yeah. To earn his first NHL shutout as the Coyotes beat the Jets one zip on a Monday night barn burner. Glad I tuned in for that one. Uh, The Jets went 0 for 6 on the power play, including 0 for 5 in the third period. So hats off to this guy who just stood on his head with the Jets power play, which is nothing to sneeze at in the third period and, you know, just shut him down. I could have told you this kid was going to get a shutout this year. I've watched a few of their games and he's actually, he's played well in front of a bad team. Most a nights, very which, bad team. Yeah. So hats off to him just for that alone. But to say that he got it against the jets is pretty darn good. They're a good hockey team. Um, they got a lot of firepower, a lot of offensive firepower. And like you said, the power play going over six, that's pretty shocking. So yeah, congrats to him for sure. Uh, A couple discussion topics real quick Uh, before we get to the other circus story. The devils did release their new alternate uniforms garbage. Now we're going to talk about some Olympic uniforms at the end, but I wanted to talk about these now. So they're all black. I'm going to try and make this good radio. They have some striping on the shoulder and some striping around like the elbow area on the arm, but on the front it's just a red, black and white script font that says Jersey. So the internet, like, I mean, the memes out there where it's just like hat, you know, on top of a hat is hysterical. Um, what have you guys thought about these? Have you warmed up to them at all or do they still suck? They suck. It's it's weak. I know that they tried to, the, the immediate reaction was poor. Then they came out and they were like, oh, but Marty Brodeur like helped design them. And the, there's four stripes on the one shoulder to symbolize the whatever that the devils had in 2002. What, like they tried to argue all this history, which, yeah, yeah, I get it. They, they planned all that into the jersey. Very cool. But the best they could plan for the logo was the word jersey and cursive. It's stupid. I, I can't imagine being on that team and those those things are hanging in the locker room and I'm spe- I'm expected to suit up in those and go out in front of, you know, however many thousand people for the devils. It's, you know, not all that much, but still kind of embarrassing. Yeah. I mean, if you, uh, if you guys remember, I think it was a winter classic Jersey might've been stadium series. They've been in so many. I can't remember Chicago Blackhawks had one that was black and white, like three yep. seasons ago. Yep. If you take that Jersey and put the word Jersey and red on the front, that's literally what this looks like. Yep. But I was okay with the Hawks one because they wore those in like the twenties. The, this is just, you know, completely out of left field. Right. And it's kind of sad. I So this might be a hot take. I don't really mind the Jersey part that says Jersey and cursive. I think it's kind of cool. It just looks so bad. And like, it kind of sucks. Cause I feel like if there's one team who doesn't have a black uniform that, that needs could one. have, that could have a potentially really cool black uniform. It's the devils. Black and red is like, you know, peanut butter and chocolate. You can't really fuck it up, but they right. somehow managed to. I think their logo is sick. Too. It's like, one of the best in the league. How can it's you an not NJ slap that and on it's a black... like devil horns and yeah. It's, like, yeah, it's so cool. It was actually one of the first hockey jerseys I I ever got was a, a white New Jersey Devils jersey when I was younger, and that it's because it's a sweet uniform. So. And those ones were cool too before they ruined them by putting the weird shoulder blocking on it. Now they yeah. should have just taken that old like like the white one you had and just swapped the like 
you know, just made it all black. Yeah. Like a reverse retro. Well, spoiler alert. I have heard that the uh, reverse retro series is supposed to be getting a re-up next season. That's just a little rumor that I heard. So, um, but apparently everybody wants to bring them back, including the players. So that would be very cool. And hopefully the devils will think about that and maybe make a cooler black Jersey for that. So, yeah. Uh, completely off topic. I think I've read, I've seen the pens are supposed to release a new alternate. I think tomorrow, December one. Is it going to be yellow or blue? Uh, it's I black. It's blue. Oh, it's like really? the old school. It's it just says Pittsburgh horizontal, like when, um, uh, like the like the mid nineties. So when is a yeah. uh, Robo Penguin yeah. coming back? Come on, baby, bring it. I wish, dude. It's I love so Robo sick. Penguin. All the nineties uniforms: Caps building, Robo Penguin, Fisherman for the, the Islanders. Caps come dome. on, yeah, yeah, come on. That shit is classic. I'm with right? you. I'm with yeah. you. Uh, let's get to the second circus situation we have to talk about, and that is the Brady Kachuk, Brendan Lemieux situation. So if you live under a rock and you don't know what happened, just Google these two guys' names and you'll see. Uh, but basically, Kings forward Brendan Lemieux was ejected after Senators Brady Kachuk says he bit his hand. So the two were scrapping on the ice in the third period. Shocker to find those two you know, trying to beat the shit out of each other. That's basically what they do all game. Uh, and then Kachuk gets up from the ice showing blood on his like hand around like the knuckle area or something. And then he, you could see him telling and mouthing to the officials. Like he was like pointing to it. Like he, he fucking bit my hand um, real quick before I read Kachuk's comments. I do want to play some audio here. Mac, you sent this to us uh, as a tweet. Someone went on cameo and had Gilbert Gottfried <laughs> read Kachuk's quote <laughs> afterwards. It's hysterical. Before we drop that audio in, uh, anybody who's out there is like, who's Gilbert Godfrey again? I'm not sure who that is. He has arguably the most recognizable voice of all time, honestly, I would say. His voice is just the most unique thing you've ever heard. And he's done a lot of voiceovers. He's been an actor for a long time. He's older now. But the one thing that I remember him from, maybe some of you listeners remember him from, is there was this movie when we were younger. It was like a kid's movie called Fire Safety. And he is literally the fire alarm screaming. In, yeah. He's the fire <laughs> alarm in the video. And it's like a fire alarm with a little cutesy face on it. And when he goes off, instead of like the normal fire alarm noise, it's Gilbert Gottfried going. Oh my God. So, All right. I, yeah. Here we go. So we'll play that for you right here, right now. Chuck, Chuck was furious. This is the one time I'm going to answer this, said Doc Chuck. It was the most gutless thing somebody could ever do. This guy, you can ask any one of his own teammates, nobody ever wants to play with him. This guy is a bad guy and a bad teammate. He focuses on himself all the time. This, the guy's just a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. The guy's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL. No other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke. I can't even wrap my head around it. People don't even do this. He's just a bad guy. I've, I've watched this like 10 times at my desk today. It's so funny. It's great. The best part of it is Gilbert Godfrey clearly has no idea what he's oh, reading. Absolutely. He probably not. has never watched a hockey game in his life. 
um, whoever sent this to him, which I, I wish we pulled his name because they said who it was on Twitter, but you, sir, are a genius. And however much you paid to get him to read that long ass statement, every dollar was worth it. Kudos exactly to that person. So real quick, we'll just recap this, basically what he said to decipher Gilbert's language. Um, he said, you know, this is Kachuk speaking in regards to Brendan Lemieux. He said, the guy's just a joke. He shouldn't be in the league. This guy's gutless. No other team wants him. He's going to keep begging to be in the NHL, but no other team is going to want him. He's an absolute joke. I can't wrap my head around it. People don't even do this. He's just a bad guy. It's outrageous. Kids don't even do that anymore. Babies do that. I don't know what he was thinking. He's just a complete brickhead. He's got nothing up there. Bad guy, bad player, but what a joke he is. So harsh words from Brady Kachuk after this. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. What what do you make of this mess? So right off the bat, I have a couple things to add. Number one, he's not wrong. Brendan Lemieux is a little fucker, for lack of a better word. Um, and you know, he's the kind of guy who I'm not gonna I'm not gonna try and you know sugarcoat this, but Brendan Lemieux, in my opinion, is not a good hockey player. He is a little, you know, a little enforcer. He has one job on the ice. He's pretty one dimensional. Uh, he goes out there to stir shit up. Occasionally he gets a garbage goal. I don't think he's like really a great spot on a, on an NHL roster. Um, Brady Kachuk, you know, we talk about, this is what these guys do. They stir shit up. It's true. Brady Kachuk is the same way. All the Kachuks always have been that way. But at least this guy is a talented player. You cannot argue that. He's the captain of his team for a reason. Um, but he's a talented player. And he, he serves more than just one purpose of like getting under people's skin, which I can have a little bit more respect for, for being multi multifaceted like that, unlike Brendan Lemieux. The only other thing I do want to add, obviously this statement is a little ridiculous and a little over the top and... To me, I just attribute that to Brady being a young player. And, you know, when you're when you're a young guy and somebody does something like that to you, I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna be pretty emotional about it right away. I love that they asked uh Matthew Kachuk like what he thought of his brother's statement. And he was like, I mean, he's not wrong. Like you could tell by that response, even Matthew knows he's like Brady, he needed to like reel it in a little bit, but he didn't say anything that was wrong. Like he's he's on the nose. So yeah, and I think quick backed up Brendan Lemieux, just like, I don't know what he's talking about. You know, I think he's a great guy, but whatever, you know? So it seemed like both of them were just Teammates like, are going to have your back. That's the way right. it goes, so. So when it comes, Harry, what do you think when it comes to the bite itself? Like, I mean, what's your reaction when you see someone do that? <laughs> um, is it bad that I kind of love this? I love shit stirring. I have a very sweet spot in my heart for shit stirs. It's just, I don't know. I, I think it's a role that has kind of been lost as the game's gotten more young and fast. So it's funny to see. Um, I would lose my mind if someone bit me on the ice. There's two things that flip my switch. I can't speak for you two. Hair pulling as a kid when you're like in a fight and biting. That was was two things. They light a fuse under you that you just like, you know, you flip the switch and it's, it's over. So it's Neanderthal behavior. It is. It is caveman shit. Like, no, who, who does that? Like you said, kids don't even do that. Right. (laughs) Like, come on. (laughs) If you haven't seen the scrum, you should see it because they fight. And then when they go down to the ice, that's when the real fight starts. Like whoever the ref was trying to break that up. I mean, holy shit. Props to you. He was in the middle of fisticuffs while they're both lying down on the, on the ground. But it doesn't really have a place in the game. I will ask you this, and I want a one-word answer. Is this worse than Martian licking someone? Yes, I think yes. so. 
Definitely, no question about it. As dumb as that was, too, he was doing that more for the meme. It was more just to, like, shock people and, like, get them to be like, what the hell, did you really just do that? <laughs> what Lemieux did was, like, just aggressive in the worst way. Like, it's just, like, one, like we said before, one toke over the line. You don't, you don't bite people. Come on, don't be, don't be. Biting, angry. like, biting someone to me is, like, they are choking me out, and if I don't bite them, I'm going to die. Like, that's right. when, that's when yeah. it's okay to bite someone. Yeah, not in a hockey fight. Come on, use no. your freaking hands like you're supposed to. Like, at least if you're gonna fight somebody, do it like a you know, do it like a respectable hockey player. Should. Right. Nick's entire last sentence, when taken out of context, is fucking hilarious. That's all I'm gonna say. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we can move on from that. It was a funny, funny incident. If you haven't seen the video, I encourage you to go check it out. And Lemieux had the hearing today. Am I correct? It was today. Yes. Have we heard anything about that yet? I haven't seen anything yet. I also okay. think like he's Claude's son, right? Yeah. No, I, I mean, it's this worth is hysterical. Noting, it's worth noting both of these players are the sons of um, other NHL players, both of whom had very similar enforcer roles when they were in the NHL. So for sure. The family uh, feud is yes. strong. It is strong. Uh, yeah, I don't think Keith and Claude liked each other very much. Um, three stars of the week. One in there for everyone. Why not? We got a cap. We got a penguin. We got an av. Max got Ovi's Russia jersey on today. That's because Ovi is your first star of the week. Four goals, three apples, seven points, and got his 28th career hat trick, the game that Mac was at. Tristan Jari is your second star of the week. He's 3-0-0 with an 067 GAA and a 978 save percentage. Thanks for coming. And then Kel McCarr, four goals on his own, three apples, seven points. He's got a five-game goal streak. That's pretty damn impressive for a defenseman. Yeah, he's lighting it up right now. I think he's on pace for like 101 points, which defensemen, like, Jesus. So. That's nuts. Yeah, I love that we have a forward, a D, and a goalie in here, too. All three of those guys are at the absolute top of their game, too. For sure. So let's go ahead and get into our interview with Sean Baker. But before we do, we just want to remind everyone that summer may be over, but there's still never been a better time to go and get out on the water. Are you looking to finance that new boat or yacht you've always dreamed of? Well, you're in luck because the Yacht Lender is a specialist in marine finance. With partnerships with 15 different banks, he is the right lender for whatever vessel you may be in the market for. Backed by Trident Funding with over 25 years as an industry leader, the Yacht Lender has the expertise and know-how to finance the boat of your dreams. Don't wait. Apply today at www.yachtlender.com or check him out on Instagram at Yachtlender to see others who have already gotten out on the water. Let's go ahead and toss it off to Sean right now. All right, and it is now my pleasure to welcome on to the Empty Betters podcast, Sean Baker. Uh, thanks for joining us, Sean. How you doing? Hey, doing well. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, so as we mentioned at the beginning of this episode, um, Sean played hockey at University of Vermont. For all you local Maryland listeners, he played hockey at St. Paul's, um, also has a history with the North Stars youth hockey program, and is... Uh, quite involved with BYH as well throughout the last couple of years, Baltimore Youth Hockey Program. So we're going to have a lot to talk about today, and um, I guess we'll start this off the same way we start all of our interviews, just kind of asking you how you first got into hockey, what are your first hockey memories, first memories of just getting into the game at a young age, and how old were you? Yeah, sure. So um, I, I probably got into it from, from my dad who, uh, who never played hockey growing up, but was always a fan and, and grew up on Long Island during the, uh, the golden years on the Island with, with the, you know, the Islanders winning four cups in a row. So it was easy for him to be a fan then. 
Um, and then I, you know, see him watching the games and stuff like that and kind of was gravitated towards it. Um, you know, I, I didn't really, I was, I was a late bloomer by, you know, hockey player standards. I didn't start playing, um, you know, on teams or anything until middle school. Um, you know, learned to skate when I was younger and would play street hockey and stuff like that before, but didn't, didn't play my first hockey game until, uh, sixth grade. Um, so I had a lot to learn really quick, um, you know, being on the ice with, with guys that have been playing their whole lives. But, um, you know, my brother and I kind of started playing around the same time. So that was a lot of fun. He was a few years younger than me, but being able to kind of play and learn with him was, was a lot of fun. And for all you listening, we mentioned this earlier too, but that younger brother Sean's talking about would be friend of the pod, Stephen Baker, who has been on once or twice with us. Um, as we mentioned, somehow still holds the record for most listens on this show. So um, yeah, a lot of family history there, but uh, going off of that. Holds it for I know. the next hour. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. I know he's going to, um, you know, if, if I don't meet it, he's going to have a lot to say. So, Yeah. It's gotta be the goal. Right. So uh, definitely share, share this one around a whole bunch afterwards, but yeah, going off of that, um, you mentioned you kind of a late bloomer by hockey standards. A lot of guys these days, especially, the ones that make it to the show end up start when they're three or four years old. So, um, but you know, I've seen you play before. I know it didn't take long for you to kind of catch your win there. Ended up being the captain of a couple different teams, if I'm not mistaken too. Yeah. Yeah. So I was the captain for St. Paul's my senior year and, and um, for two of my youth teams growing up, U16 and U18. So for, um, I, I, Grew up playing at the Hartford North Stars and then finished my my youth hockey career with the Baltimore Stars um, all, you know, while playing high school at St. Paul's. Um, so it was, you know, captain a few different teams then. And, and that kind of like you said, I, I got good kind of quick. And, and you know, I, I, I had higher aspirations looking back and, and I didn't quite fully get it, um, I think, you know, when I was in, in – freshman, sophomore, junior year of high school, where, you know, you're kind of your golden years where, you, you know, the players that, that go to the next level make those strides. And, you know, I didn't really get it. I was pretty naive to the, to the sport outside of, outside of Baltimore and outside of high school hockey, um, you know, and was really fortunate to have a chance to play, um, you know, after high school. Totally. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about the, that first program, North Stars. Obviously we've, we've had a couple different people on that, have had a lot of experience with BYH, Baltimore Youth Hockey, and the Baltimore Stars. And so we've, we've definitely been able to kind of share with our listeners what that program was like. I think we've had one, maybe two North Stars guys. Was Brian Cantor, is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Brian and I played together actually growing up for a year or two. Yeah, so I, just tell us a little bit more about the North Stars program, what your experience was like there. They were mostly based out of Ice World growing up and um, – did they, did they still exist? Did they merge? Did they fold? Do you know the status? Yeah. There? So as of now, I, I think they still exist in some capacity, but have, have kind of merged or fallen under tomorrow's ice um, TI. Um, I think it's all kind of one umbrella group up there now. Um, and, and they go under the, the name TI or tomorrow's ice for some of their upper upper level teams, but I think they still have the North stars, um, you know, the North star jerseys and everything like that for some of their, their lower level or, or youth and, um, you know, younger ages. Um, there were some pretty decent threads, especially for a youth hockey program, the black they were, and red. They were, they were sharp. Yeah. Kind of modeled after the senators 
jerseys at the time. I thought they were pretty sharp, definitely. Is Shramick running the show up there? Is that? Yeah, so Shramick and and um, Ed Slusher too. Yeah, no, I I figured so. I just didn't know if that was still uh, still the case. Nick, you had a question. I'm sorry, I cut you off. Who were, uh, who were some of your favorite players growing up? Did anyone you tried to like model your game after? You know, who did you pretend to be in the driveway? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, you know, I mentioned the Islanders growing up. You know, with, with watching them, but. I was starting to play hockey during the Ovechkin era, right? So, you know, when, when I take a slap shot on the driveway, you, you know, I'm thinking of him. And then another one, Alex Semin on the Cavs. Um, Best snapshot you know, ever, baby. Puck, it was just, it was so cool to watch. Elite um, sniper, Alexander yeah, Semin. Yes. That's next level sniper for sure. Um, so, you know, watching those guys was fun. Mike Green too. Um, you know, I played a lot of defense growing up and, and we're back and forth between forward and D and, um, you know, when I played D, I still love to score goals. So seeing, you know, guys like Mike Green, you know, with the, I think, you know, breaking the consecutive goal game records and stuff like that um, was all pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, those, those Caps teams, especially we've talked with, you know, Joe Beninati and Craig Lachlan about this, those young guns Caps teams did so much for the hockey market in this area. It's just nuts now, you know. Everyone had the yellow laces. I like begged for a CCM like U plus crazy light every year for Christmas. But, you know, it's just it's great to see the impact that those guys have had on the community. Yeah, no doubt. It was huge. And I think, you know, we're still in the, in the hockey area, you know, in the air, hockey in the area. We're still kind of reaping the benefit of that, um, you know, at, at doing lessons in clinics and stuff like that with super young kids. I'm still seeing Ovechkin jerseys and stuff like that, um, which is so cool. Definitely. While we're talking about that, I don't know if I just saw this because I was at Caps game for the first time this year, but that Caps intro video right now is so sick. It, it actually focuses a lot on like the youth hockey organization, and there's a really cool shot of some kids playing hockey at Fort DuPont. Um, yeah. And, you know, you talk about how much those guys have done for the, the local game. I know Ovechkin and um, Joel Ward, when he was on the team, a lot of guys – put in a lot of work to make the program out of DC and Fort DuPont better. So hats off to all of them for that. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, Fort DuPont definitely spent some time there, you know, playing in, in high school and in youth hockey, but yeah, seeing that type of thing is awesome. So I'm curious. Cause um, I have a, I had a pretty similar uh, track record to you in terms of being a late bloomer. I didn't play my first game until I want to say I was, 10 going on 11 so i guess that would be sixth grade um and i kind of started in like an age group lower than i should have been because i was so new to it i had played uh you know like floor hockey at like a church down the street or something but nothing crazy um what was your experience at saint paul's like and building off of that um how did it transition into you ended up playing at vermont because i feel like a lot of guys cap off at the at the high school level around here and um, you know, you were fortunate to to go on and, you know, carry on with your career. Yeah, no doubt. So, you know, for the high school local hockey, for the people that are familiar with it, St. Paul's has had some pretty good teams. And, and I came in right at the time where, um, you know, we were really, really good, um, you know, playing with some, some players that, um, you know, Jack Burton, who went on to play in the ECHL and Tyler Cap, who I think had a a brief stint at Providence college and, and, you know, some really good players, um, you know, the only teams we couldn't beat and, and we did beat them sometimes, but Calvert hall, you know, it was like one of the, you know, the one team that, you know, we couldn't beat and, um, or couldn't beat when it mattered rather, but 
you know, I think being forced and playing with those guys right away, you know, as a sophomore and, and, and freshman helped a lot. You know, I, I got was playing at a much faster speed like immediately. Um, and by the time I was a junior or senior, I was, you know, eating up solid minutes and, and you know, main contributor on those teams. Um, and that's kind of when I, I kind of found myself saying, oh, I'm actually kind of decent player, you know. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, after that, I, I, I didn't have, you know, college hockey aspirations at the time. Um, it was more just kind of finding a school that fit right. And, you know, playing, playing hockey ACHA was, would, would, was, you know, cherry on top type of thing. Um, you know, I wanted to, obviously. Um, so, you know, being able to do that Vermont and, and was awesome. And, and you know, I, I was actually cut my freshman year. Um, oh, wow. You know, I show up, we have 84 kids at tryouts. Um, yeah. You, you had know, 84 kids trial for an ACHA team? Holy yeah. shit. Mm -hmm. And that, that no one is recruited to play ACHA at Vermont. Some of the other ACHA teams, especially around here, are, are you know, 90%, 100% recruited. Um, you know, the coach didn't talk to anybody. Um, you know, before the first day of school. Um, so, you know, we had, you know, 80 some kids try out and just cause you know, you're in New England and University of Vermont, they draw from, from, you know, Massachusetts, New York, yeah. um, you know, Connecticut, Rhode Island. Most of that's where most of my teammates were from. Get any Canadian um, guys coming down for that at all? We did. Yep. We had someone from Toronto. Yeah. Um, you most, you know, most of the guys, that were on, you know, my teams um, were playing prep school or juniors or triple A hockey. And I was one of the few that, you know, played travel double A and high school hockey. Um, you know, one of the few, so there was a few, you know, remarkable exceptions, but they were unbelievable players. Right. So that whole experience, I mean, you, you mentioned you get cut your freshman year. Um, what, change did you did you end up training really hard did you end up like playing in like 17 different men's leagues like how how do you yeah do no, you honestly I, honestly not really i um well I, you know i definitely uh stayed up a little too late the night before tryouts uh freshman year and and you know that that didn't help and and you know i spent a lot more time having fun that year and which is fine you know that's good um i did you know continue to play we had a rink on campus we had you know essentially stick and puck or open ice every day. Um, oh so God, I would go out awesome. and we would, we would just, you know, helmets and gloves and shoot around. And some of the club guys would, you know, or the ACHA team would, would come and, and, you know, mess around. Um, so I was playing with those guys a little bit and we had intramural hockey at Vermont and, you know, it's a short season, but I was still playing and then coming home and played men's leagues and, you know, just trying to, you know, keep playing just cause I, you know, I love to play. Um, I was planning on trying out again and, and glad I did. Um, you know, it's just, just staying on the ice really was, was what it took. And then, you know, not, not staying out too late the night before tryouts definitely helped. Yeah. It's, that's when, you know, you're in the new England area, when you got a ice rink on campus, you can play stick and puck every day and find an intramural mm -hmm. games. That's yeah, a dream. intramural hockey. That just sounds so cool to even think about. Yeah, it was, it was so much fun. It was, it was, it was good hockey too. I mean, you know, like we had, you know, said 80 kids to try it out, but there was probably, you know, hundred hockey players in every single class in Vermont, you know? Um, so there was four intramural leagues, I think. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a men's A, men's B. That's um, crazy. Yeah. Co-ed league. It was, so, you know, I played in men's A and co-ed and, and the intramural uh, all four years. Um, you know, the, the intramural hockey was a lot of fun. 
What was the atmosphere like there? You know, any big rivalry games that stick out to you at all? Um, as a player, yeah, there was a couple. I think Keene State was always a big one. We were pretty evenly matched, and um, they're one of those schools that doesn't have a, a NCAA team. Um, so they put a lot of stock in their ACHA hockey, which is a ton of fun. Um, and a lot of schools are doing that. I mean, you know, we can talk about this more, but ACHA is just an amazing thing. Um, you know, but I think Keene State was a big one. That's one we always kind of circled. Um, it was fun playing in their rank. Um, you know, I think that was probably the biggest one, but, you know, BU was always a good game. Um, Providence was always a good game. We were also pretty even matched with them. Yeah, there's some big school names that you mentioned too. Yeah, no doubt. So we, you know, Vermont, the NCAA, they're in Hockey East, so they play BC, BU, Providence, um, UMass. And um, so we played all their club teams um, as part of our schedule. It's pretty solid company. I'm curious too, you know, once you finally make the team and, you know, it's time for your first game in the ACHA, do you have any memories of that, like, very first game, kind of whether it was, like, a big awakening, a lot different from the pace you had played at previously, or was it pretty much you were ready because you'd been practicing with them? Yeah, it was um, It was definitely an awakening. I think the, the violence and physicality was the first thing, and then the speed, too. So I, I played defense on for Vermont and – just, you know, not having that extra half step to make a play. Um, you know, I was in high school, I could, you know, find that stretch pass or, or you know, make the first four check or miss and make a play. But, you know, I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I got hit once and now I'm high off the glass, get off the ice type, <laughs> type of player. Yeah, you got to adapt. And I think, um, you know, that's one thing that I could speak for myself happened to me. And at a much earlier time when I got to, to high school and played for Coward Hall, you know, you grow up at BYH and I was one of the better travel players. And then I got there, I was like, I'm not that good anymore. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I, same. that hit, that hit me hard. It hit me harder even freshman year when I show up to tryouts and, you know, um, went from, you know, being a, a pretty good hockey player in, in Baltimore to being an incredibly average player um, anywhere else. <laughs> Yeah, no, but the fact that you're – I mean, you got to think about it too. Like how many guys from Baltimore go on to play ACHA, especially in the – air. you know, some guys go down to South Carolina and they mess around with like a club team. You're playing pretty damn good hockey up in the New England area. So that's something you should be proud of. I mean – Yeah, no, I, I definitely am proud of it. I mean, tons of great memories and, and, you know, really, really enjoyed it. Playing ACHA was, was definitely a highlight of, you know, my hockey career for one um, – you know, outside of coaching, but definitely, um, you know, highlighted my college experience overall. Um, you know, wouldn't trade. It was a, a great balance. We had tons of ice time. You know, we were able to play a lot, and but we, you know, we still had a lot of fun. And, and you know, it was it was a really good balance. ACHA hockey was the best, definitely. We talked earlier about how the uh, North Stars threads were pretty sharp, but in my opinion, Vermont has some pretty sweet uniforms as well. I've always liked that dark green color and the Catamount logo is classic as well. Yeah. Yeah. The green and gold is sharp for sure. One I of remember the best seeing them in like, the frozen four at like Washington a long time back, but such a good college mascot too. So unique. Just, yeah. Yeah. No, the Catamounts are great. So Tell me about how you transitioned into coming back to the Baltimore area. Now you're coaching, which I think is awesome. And I have a lot of questions about that. Um, once I let you take the wheel here. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, before I even graduated, um, I had accepted a job 
a non-hockey job um, in, back in, in the Baltimore area. Uh, so I was kind of planning on moving back. And, um, you know, I, I've stayed in touch with kind of my youth hockey connections, you know, the hockey director BYH and, and obviously the St. Paul's coach and kind of stayed in touch with them. And, and throughout my, my time at, at Vermont and when I came back and I still had a, a hockey itch to scratch, you know, coaching was the, the obvious choice. Do you have any like crazy hockey parent stories? I'm sure as a coach, you've had to deal with many of them, but any ones that really stand out that you can share? Honestly, it, I've been pretty lucky in that, in that department. Um, most of my parents, if not all have been, have been awesome. Um, That's good. Yeah. Um, they really have been, you know, there there's hockey parents are, are a unique group and, you know, they, they, you know, we, I think we all get kind of where I'm coming from with it, but they, they, you know, they're, they're an interesting group of people. Hockey parents are, um, I found that the, you know, the parents that, that played hockey growing up or were around it a lot, sometimes took a back seat a little bit when they watched, um, not always the case. And sometimes those were the outlier parents that you hear stories about, but for the most part, you know, they, they get it, you know, they've been around hockey a long time and, and, they've kind of hung them up and in they'll stand in the corner with their coffee and watch quietly. Um, not going to appreciate that, you know? Yeah. And they probably was, went through the same thing. I mean, their dads were probably hockey dads their moms were hockey moms, you know, so they're, they're used to it at this point. It's yeah, an endless no cycle. I think my, my experience growing up in playing for BYH and, and for MIAA teams and all that good stuff was that it was always the opponent's parents, right? Like our, our parents were always usually pretty, pretty good, pretty respectable, but there were the stories that I can remember were from going into like Charlottesville and going into like some of the other, I feel like it was usually some of the Southern too far South or too far North. Right. Cause you got the crazy new England parents sometimes yeah. too, but usually I, I would agree. Like, I feel like the teams I played for, it was always, I mean, it's easy to point the finger at the other side, I suppose, but felt like it was yeah. always the opponent's. Yeah, definitely. No, I know. I kind of feel that way too. And, and I'm, it might've just been the luck of the draw for me um, so far. Like, you know, like I said, most of my parents have been great and most of the players have been too, you know, there's always the hothead player that thinks they know everything or the one that doesn't want to be there. But for the most part, you know, they're good kids. I think hockey players in general, I think are. All right. So are you the type to scream at the ref for the bad call or do you let it go? Um. <laughs> I don't let it go, but I'm not a screamer. I, I, I want him to know that I saw it and that I think it was wrong. Um, and, and I, you know, I have little tricks and ways I like to do it. And, you know, I might just kind of ask them the question and, and just so he knows that I saw it too, um, type of thing. And, or, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll say something to my bench, um, you know, when the linesman's right in front of our bench on the blue line, you know, a little louder than I would normally. So I make sure he hears it type of thing. Um, you know, it, I'm not a screamer, but I, I, I'm not afraid to tell the refs when I think he's wrong. It's interesting you say that you like, you sort of have a way that you, you know, approach it or go about it. Um, a while ago, we had Joe Vanakis on and he was talking about his coaching experience with the Navy women's hockey team. And mm -hmm. he said, you know, very similar things along the line, you know, maybe he'll either call the ref over at the next stoppage in play or the linesman or someone like that and just say, Hey, you know, I don't think you got that right. Just wanted to point it out, you know, no hard, no, no harm, no foul. Let's keep going. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, that's the approach I've tried to kind of go with. And I think there's, I think refs appreciate that, you know, um, you know, a hockey, you know, players on the ice need to make 
uh, you know, a ton of decisions every single shift and so do refs. Um, and sometimes the decisions aren't right. Just like sometimes the players turn the puck over, their decision isn't right. Refs decisions aren't always right. Um, you know, that being said, if one of my players messes up or, or makes a play that there's a better option, you know, that's a, a chance for me to coach. And um, if a ref makes it, you know, makes a mistake, I want him to know. And, and, that, that I saw it. And, and, you know, I, I try not to be a dick about it and, and try not to yell at the ref and, but, you know, I, there are ways I like to, to interact with the refs and I think they appreciate it, you know, not, not, they don't like to be screamed at, um, you know, and, and I think they appreciate the conversation rather than, than just me yelling at them. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you don't want to pull a Rob Brindamore like he did. the. I other was night just going to say, you should tell that to Rob Brindamore. I just got fined yeah. 25K for it. So, uh, yeah, no. And, and thankfully I don't have any, uh, there's no press conferences at youth hockey where I can let something slip like that or, or, um, you know, no, uh, no fights in the tunnels, John Tortorella or anything like that. Nothing, nothing yet. <laughs> you haven't, you mean you haven't turned around and dumped Gatorade all over a fan sitting behind no, the no, bench? No water bottles in the stands. No, uh, no fights in the tunnel. Um, nothing yet. Knock on wood, but, uh, you know, I guess there's always time. Um, so up, update us all. Currently, you're head coach St. Paul's, right? And then yep. you're coaching elsewhere as well, right? There's two teams. Yeah, I am. So I'm, I'm coaching for Loyola University. Um, head coach there. Head coach at St. Paul's High School. Um, so Loyola, this, this is my first year with them. It, they, they, uh, it, they're not in the ACHA right now. They're kind of a, uh, I guess, like an independent um, club. Um, they, they disbanded for two seasons and um were able to put it back together and um they approached me and, and asked if I had any interest and definitely did you know I, I want to you know continue to my development as a coach just you know and and move on to the next levels and stuff like that um so it seemed like a no-brainer at the time and and really glad I did I've learned a lot and the the guys at Loyola are, are, are great so so you're head coach of two teams right now while working a full-time job that's correct yeah wow yeah that's uh <laughs> i can i can respect the shit out of that that's hefty um, makes me want to stop complaining about my job but <laughs> yeah right so uh you're you're practicing i'm assuming at ricerstown for loyola or no so well typically we'd be at mount pleasant but the you know there's there's issues getting that ring open this year um okay they had renovations, right? So it's supposed so, to be. So yeah, they, they did. They had they had some renovations last year, um, and then were they closed because of COVID? And then they were planning some renovations, and and then you know I guess the, you try to turn the compressors on after being off for eighteen months, and things don't always go to plan. It's just <laughs> it's taking a little longer than they had planned. Um, you know, a few months longer, and, and um, traditionally Loyola would, would practice in Mount Pleasant, but we've been we've been picking up ice time at Reisterstown. And then St. Paul's, are they at Patterson Park still or no? So same story with Patterson Park. Uh, the rink isn't open right now. So we're at Reisherstown also. Okay. So that makes it nice that that I'm really only going to one. Yeah, at least they're in the same place. Yeah. But so is everybody else. That that rink is open. <laughs> right. You know, 6 a.m. to 1 a.m. every single day. You know? To the yeah. point where they they might want to start thinking about switching that soccer rink into another hockey rink at this point. I think they can. Yeah, I, I, I think uh, – you know, I'd like to see that that in the plans for sure. Um, I'm curious. So, what is one of the biggest differences that you have noticed coaching kids now versus 
when we played and not to sound not to make us sound old but there's such a difference between how kids grew up between like you know 94 and 96 versus like you're probably coaching what kids born in 2003 now so there's a huge difference yeah yeah no doubt it's you know it it's, it's kind of tough to put my finger on right away. Well, first, like, you know, from the hockey point of view, um, I think the game has gotten a ton faster um, skills rewarded and, and, you know, physicality is, is definitely going down. You know, USA hockey has, has all sorts of initiatives and things like that to make the game safer and, and, you know, more enjoyable for, you know, at all ages and less, less risk for injury and things like that. And that's making a big impact on the game. And it's probably for the best, um, you know, I, I think the phrases that we grew up hearing it from coaches, you know, things like finish your checks and, you know, running through the D and things like that, you know, we're not teaching that anymore. Um, you know, it's, it's, if they don't have the puck, we skate away. You know, if you can't go stick on puck, then, then there's no check available really. So that's the biggest thing from like a hockey perspective, I'd say, um, you know, the kids themselves, you know, I, I, as obvious as it is the you know, the phones and the Snapchats and the, you know, all these 13 year olds are on Snapchat, Instagram and Facebook. And they have, they have, uh, you know, group messages that they're probably talking shit about me once they go <laughs> and, and, um, you know, stuff like that. And I, I, you know, I remember leaving the rink. Yeah. I left my flip phone in the car when I got to the rink. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, they got you on the group TikTok message. Yeah, I didn't want no part of that. Yeah. <laughs> it's so no, funny I, you mentioned that. And you know, we had Carl Alsner on a little while ago and he said they used to do that to Boudreaux. Like when he when they had like the HBO 24-7 crew in there, they used to not pay attention when he was talking, but they would count how many times he said fuck and you know. Yeah. <laughs> uh no, I think you know, that's funny you say that. I always wonder if I have something that I say that the kids are always like, you know, just nodding when I say it, but counting how many times I say it or something like that. Or if I have a, I'm sure I do. And I don't even know it. Um, and it's probably, probably better that you don't chat. find out. Honestly, exactly. That's yeah. why I don't want to be on the TikTok group chat. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so is this your first year head coaching for both programs? Um, this is my second year with St. Paul's. Um, if, okay. if you count last year, the COVID year last year, kind of, um, wild. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was, it was tough. And, and, um, I think hockey got a really bad rep with COVID or from COVID. Um, you know, I don't know why um, there's close contact and you're indoors maybe, I don't know, but um, yeah. you know, we, we, we had a really tough year last year. We, we had a lot of limitations. Um, you know, we, we weren't even technically in the MIAA last year. Right. So um, f- fill us in because i know we got a lot of baltimore listeners what's the what's the high school hockey picture in the baltimore area looking like this year yeah so for the miaa calvert hall is is the best team in the league i think um mount st joe and spalding are next um so you know not much has changed there um you know calvert hall and mount st joe usually go year for year it seems um i think calvert hall's got the edge um and then, you know, teams like St. Paul's and Gilman and Loyola are probably that next level. And then there's a lot of other teams, more high school teams than I remember playing against. So like, you know, Glenelg, Curley, um, you know, St. Peter and Paul all have teams now. Boys Latin as a team again. Um, and it's great. You know, a lot more schools have hockey teams. Um, but there's definitely um, 
a wide variety of, of level of play between the top team in Baltimore and the, and the lowest team in Baltimore. And, and, you know, I'm sure you remember that from when, when you were playing, but that it seems like that gap has gotten larger. Oh, it's gotten larger. Really? Yeah. So that's a shame. Cause I was, you know, when I was, I graduated in 14. So I like to think not too long ago, but realistically long ago, um, you know, the gap was there, but it wasn't, horrible i think my senior year um it might have been the year after i graduated can't remember but loyola hung in with us like right to the end which usually was not a trend i remember Um, a brother andrew cup that i believe ended in a tie or something like that a a while back or or it went to overtime and somebody wanted to shoot out i don't know but that was like i think right around the time you were talking about where loyola was kind of pulling a little closer to that top tier level Right. And I guess my whole thing I thought was going to happen just because hockey was growing so fast is that, you know, some of the, uh, I guess, B conference schools at the time, Mm -hmm. like Gilman, Loyola, Boys Latin, they would kind of shrink the gap. But um, personally, I'd like to see the gap shrink. I think it would make it a little more interesting and competitive. No, no, I agree. I, you know, I think that's something. And and St. Paul's has always kind of teetered on being one of those top four teams and bottom four teams, you know, or, you know, we're either the worst of the top four or the best of the bottom four type. Um, you know, there's games, you know, when I was playing, we, we you know, we were playing in a conference championships, um, you know, beating, beating Mount St. Joe and Spalding and stuff like that. And, you know, there's years where we can, and, and I think St. Paul's is, a, you know, as a school, we're, we're really close to, you know, breaking through and getting there. Um, but then, you know, a couple of key players graduate and, and we take a step back and that's kind of how it is. Um, yeah. You know, I, I think that gap has gotten, larger just because the the you know a conference level players are seeking out the a conference level schools and yeah. it, it seems that that um you know they're, they're making decisions to for high school hockey more than high school which is okay you know nothing against it it's it just i think that seems to be kind of the what, what's driving that are you uh are you I don't know if you guys play them, but are you familiar with how the uh, the state's pictures looking like with Gonzaga and Landon and all them incorporated in there? I can't remember the name don't, of the conference. Yeah, so the it's the Maple, the M A H P L Mid Atlantic Prep Hockey League. Um, yeah. I don't know much about those teams this year. We don't have any of them on our schedule. Okay. Um, with with the you know the new M I W A teams, we're able to fill up the schedule pretty easily with just playing good. teams from Baltimore, which is good. Yeah, but it, it always always is nice to play, you know, the DC teams and the Northern Virginia teams and you know the the Landon and Bullis and Georgetown Prep and mm-hmm. um and, and they always have good teams and, and they still will. Um I think, you know, that the, there's a lot of hockey players in Northern Virginia and in the DC area and, and like we talked about, I think a lot of that has to do with the caps. Um and there's some some you know really good youth hockey programs down there with Team Maryland and little caps and stuff like that, where there's just a ton of hockey players that are playing really well. I'm curious, you know, we talk about you're, you're the head coach at two different programs, one high school, one college. How do you kind of flip the switch going between the two? Cause obviously there's a different strategy for coaching hawk or for coaching high school players versus college. And I'm curious sort of how you're able to kind of walk the line between the two and what the difference are, differences are. Sure. Yeah, no doubt. So, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, I think the goal is still the same for, you know, for the goal is to win hockey games. Um, so that makes it easy. You know, if you approach it from that, you know, thousand foot view of the goal is to win the hockey game and, um, 
you know, then you take a step closer and, and, and how do you do that? Um, you know, with, with the college team, it's a little bit more, um, you know, I spend less time on skills and more time on, on, you know, our power play. I do power play in every practice, um, or, or every week at least. Um, and, and, you know, that way I keep the, you know, the, the really elite level player at, you know, Loyola university engaged, um, you know, working on power play and, and, you know, specific parts of our game. Um, you know, we're in, in high school, I'm a little bit more looking at the team as a whole, um, you know, doing some skill development stuff, um, you know, things like that. And, and, and more basic overall hockey tactics, you know, that, that are you more universal, whereas for Loyola more things that are specific to our game, I guess. No, that makes sense. And that, that's probably the best approach you can take. I mean, I, from an accountability standpoint, I also would imagine it's kind of hard, right? Cause you know, if someone's in college, they're, they're an adult at that point. Whereas yeah, some high school kids who probably can't even drive themselves to the rink. So if they're late, like, what are you going to, what are you going to do? I mean, no, it, that's, that's exactly it. And yeah, it, it's funny to say, I, I drove the, uh, the team van today from St. Paul's and, <laughs> um, you know, and on the way home, it was just me and the van. I, it, I was going to stop at Royal Farms, but I don't know if I could have parked it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, exactly that. I, I treat, yeah, exactly. I treat the guys like, like they're adults. You know, I, I, I don't know their parents. Um, I don't talk right. to them. Um, you know, I, I only talk to the team. Um, and I like that. Um, yeah. you know, it's a little different. It's the first time I've, I've had to do that. Um, you know, in my coaching career after, you know, coaching youth hockey, then high school, um, I've enjoyed it though. I like, you know, talking to the player. Um, and I think that's where I'll, I, you know, fit in most, you know, I, I think back to when I was, you know, first started coaching youth hockey and, and I still had this competitive itch, you know, I was playing competitively not that long ago and I show up to a, you know, 14 U practice and, you know, I'm, I'm talking to them like they're my peers or like they're, you know, adult yeah. hockey players when they're not. And, and, you know, it took me a season or two to kind of tone that down and, and, you know, kind of get a grasp on that. Um, yeah. For Lola, you know, I'm treating them like they're adults and, you know, on the ice too, you know, when, when, you know, I hold them accountable for, for things on the ice. And I think that's, you know, one of my strengths more so than kind of the off ice, if they show up late or if they don't text me that they're not going to be there, you know, you know, accountability on the ice and in the games, I think is, you know, key for them. One of the big differences I've noticed from like when we were growing up um, versus now is the focus on mental health, especially with younger and upcoming hockey players how have you seen that and how have you been able to sort of, you know, make that a forefront or a, you know, a, an element that you'd like to bring to your coaching style if it is. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And it's, it's something that, you know, I, I have, you know, heard about and we've talked about, and it's, it's something that I, I probably can improve on. Um, you know, I, I can think of a time where I, I, you know, embarrassed a player for not listening or something like that. And I thought back like that, that wasn't cool. I shouldn't have done that, you know, and I think, um, you know, it, it's, you have to kind of ride a line with, you know, making sure that they're, you know, even if they're, you know, youth hockey, 13, 14, you know, 15 to 16, they're, they're um, being accountable and responsible, but, but still, you know, um, you don't want to embarrass a player in front of, in front of their team, um, you know, stuff like that. And, you know, that, that that's one thing I, I, I specifically remember that I wish I had done differently. Um, so 
it's, it's a tough. fine it's, line. Yeah, it's one of those things where it's like you want to make a point, but like you said, you know, you don't want to sewer anyone or you know put them on the roast and you know turn them over on a spit. So um, yeah, no, exactly. Is it safe for me to assume that you're trying to let's say take your coaching experience to the next level eventually? I think that's safe to say. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like it, and I think I'm I'm somewhat decent at it. Um, you know, I, I I've I've enjoyed kind of going from the youth level to the high school level and, and now kind of dipping my toes into the ACHA level. And, and, you know, I think, you know, my, my way I coach and the way I approach my players, I think it's geared a little bit more towards an older, an older team, you know, an age, you know, a little bit higher level of play. And I think that's kind of where I, I strive, um, you know, where I've kind of fit in the best, you know, I, I love going back and doing, lessons and clinics and stuff for really young kids, kids learn how to skate. I love to keep, teach people how to skate. I love it. Um, but you know, it, it's, it's teaching 13, 14 year olds how to, you know, learn, to learn hockey versus, um, you know, teaching a, a 20 year old, you know, a, a specific system we're going to do that this week. You know, I think mm-hmm. having, you know, being able to do both is great. And, and I'm finding that I enjoy the latter a little bit more. What's your uh, biggest piece of advice for, let's say, someone in our age group, someone between, let's say, 20, you know, just graduated college and around 30 years old. If you're in that age bracket and you're an aspiring coach, what's your what's your biggest piece of advice? Uh, I think hit your target audience is the biggest thing, you know, and and be, having coached from, you know, anywhere between four year olds to, you know, 24 year olds, it, it being able to change your tone. Um and your message to your audience, I think is, is key. Um, you know, and it, it's, it sounds obvious, but it's something that, that I know as I first started, I wasn't doing a good job with, um, you know, t- coaching at youth hockey, but, but, you know, I wasn't delivering my message clearly, um, to a way that, that a youth hockey player would understand. Um, you know, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've, I've learned and that I've been working on. Um, you know, and the next is, is, explaining the why, um, you know, if, if you tell them that you want them to, to, you know, stretch the zone, you know, if you tell them why they need to do it, then they're, you know, they'll understand what it's doing and they're more likely to, to, to do it honestly, or, you know, if we need to get lower on our breakout, you know, why, um, you know, explaining the why I think is, is just as important as, um, you know, drawing it on the chalkboard. I think that's a great point, you know, as a coach um, or anyone that's teaching anything, you want to put meaning behind the method. You know, I'm not just nagging you to nag you to do something because I want it done that way. You know, we need you to do this, you know, X, Y, and Z ways for the better of the team. Yeah, no, absolutely. No doubt. I think that's really important. And, and, you know, kids, I think, especially, you know, they're super inquisitive. And if, if you explain them why, I think they like that. Yeah, that's a great point. And, you know, we'll, we'll wrap it up soon. I know we've kept you for a bit, but one thing I, I do want to touch on that I don't want to get glossed over is a little more about, you know, the St. Paul situation. Obviously, you mentioned before you played four years varsity hockey there. Uh, your younger brother played four years varsity hockey there. Believe your sisters played girls hockey there as well, if I'm not mistaken. So a ton mm-hmm. of hockey, a ton of hockey history in the family at that school. I'm just curious, you know, what it, what it means to you to be the coach of the program just a few years later. And 
uh, now you're in your second second year. Technically, you mentioned with the COVID year, but you know, how does that feel to to be back behind the bench and watching them suit up in those jerseys that you put on? No, it's it's awesome. It's definitely you know playing hockey was such a big part of my you know experience in St. Paul's and and you know a lot of my memories there were, were from playing hockey for St. Paul's. So you know, I, there's no doubt in what it it you know meant to me and and kind of being on the other side of the bench now is is awesome. You know, being you know putting on the, you know, the blue and gold in a, a different capacity at this point is, is really cool. Being able to still put it on, I guess, is really cool. Um, you know, I still love winning games for St. Paul's just like I did then. And, um, you know, it continuing my, I guess, you know, footprint on the program and, and, or being able to continue my footprint on the program is, is really cool. Well, I'll pay you a big compliment before we go. And I think I mentioned this in your brother's interview, but at a very early age uh, in my hockey career, I think I was a Bantam, either first year Bantam or second year squirt. I can't remember, but um, there was a cross ice practice where you were the age group above me and you were one of the taller kids on the team and you were really good. And I was still just starting out. And I remember thinking like, God damn, son of a bitch, that Baker kid's really good. And uh you know, I, I remember telling your brother that, that, and here we are probably, geez, like 15 or so years later. So, yeah. um, I, I played, I played against you a couple of times at Mount Pleasant on some cross ice practices. You're a damn good player. So, no, oh, well, appreciate that. I'm, I'm sure you got the better of me when, uh, when you're, I don't think so. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think so, but, um, we, we do really appreciate you joining. It's always nice to, to get some more, uh, local feel on here. I really love that stuff. So good luck this season. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, guys. That was fun. Yeah, we'll have to try and make it out to a game to see the boys in action. Yes, I I, I would love to do that. Definitely. Thanks to Sean for coming on and chatting with us. Great to hear about his playing career and his coaching career and what he's up to now. Um, I I thought that was a fantastic interview. Yeah, that was awesome. Really, uh, really happy we got to have him on. Uh, Shout out to Sean and Sarah and Steven and the rest of their clan for hosting me at their tailgate for the Ravens game. Uh, that was kind of when Sean and I got to talking about how he should come on the episode and stuff. So nice. Happy to have had him. Good networking. Uh, some injuries to get to Malkin skates with the penguins for the first time following his knee surgery. That's good. Harry, what do we think? Still maybe a couple months before he's back. Uh, I don't know about months. I'd say sounds like it's going to be expedited. Uh, let's see if he comes back before the 10th. Um, Interesting. The, fr- the Friday night game against the Caps. We'll I don't know why I was thinking months. I think I saw a tweet that said he's still not anywhere near ready yet, but you know, I'll take that like with a grain of salt. Two to three weeks, I'd say, somewhere in that range. I cool. think I'd be shocked if I saw him come back before the calendar year turns, but it could happen. It'll, it'll be right around like end of December, early January, if I had to guess. Cool. Uh, Jack Hughes, as we mentioned, is back in the lineup for the Devils tonight. I think, you know, why not? Whenever a guy comes back in, sprinkle a little bit on him to score. You never know what's going to happen, and your odds are probably going to be pretty damn good. Barkov returns to practice with the Panthers after that scary knee-on-knee hit. That's great to see. Tuck is skating with the Sabres. They need all the help they can get. Uh, Pesci and D'Angelo are in COVID-19 protocol for the Hurricanes. McKinnon could play for the Avalanche at the Leafs tonight, and the Kings get Dowdy back after he missed 16 games due to a knee injury. So some good uh, signs of people coming back after getting hurt. 
a lot um, of important players in there too. So yep. Unfortunately, the COVID protocol thing does not seem to be going away anytime soon. So it looks like we're just going to have to suck it up for another year of that. Um, one suspension I want to get to, and it's the guy we're now talking about for the third time this episode, Brad Marchand. He got three games for slew footing uh, Canucks defenseman, Oliver Ekman Larson. Did you guys see this? I did see it. Yeah, I I am really interested to hear what you guys have to say about this one. Interested to discuss it in general. So for those of you who don't know, slew footing is when you kick out a player's skates from underneath of them, usually from behind. And it's really dangerous. It's a just a one-way ticket to pop in, you know, your knee, your hip, your leg, whatever. It's you just get hurt. It's not fun. That, it's, and the other really dangerous thing about it is a lot of times you kick somebody's leg like that and their head or neck snaps back pretty darn hard on the ice. So it's just a really gutless move. And unfortunately we've seen too much of it in the NHL this year, in my my opinion. I thought this was, you know, I, I can argue about the terms, you know, games here and there, but uh I thought he should have been suspended for this. I would agree. I will say if anybody, and you know, obviously it's inevitable. We're going to start talking about Subban right now too. Um, a lot of people have probably seen PK Subban has had at least what, two or three questionable slew foot incidents so far this year. All three of those to me looked more intentional than the Brad Marchand one. To me, I'd like to see this action slew footing cracked down on hard in general because like an automatic five or something yeah i mean the way that we've seen the nhl tighten up their cross-checking rules this year to me slew footing is a way more dangerous thing than cross-checking like i would much rather see the nhl say like at the beginning of a season the refs are going to be looking for slew footing this year and if you do it at all you're going to get you know tossed and suspended or would it like to me slew footing just has no place in hockey it's not it's never it's never the right play, right? So um, should he have gotten suspended? Yes. Should Subban have gotten suspended more and more frequently? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, it, it's none of it's good, but I, I do. It, it's a classic question mark response to the NHL Department of Player Safety because as we've talked about with almost every suspension or, you know, fine that we discuss on this show there's just no consistency when it comes to this department so that's all i'm asking for is consistency and when it comes to slew footing i'd ask for it to be you know cracked down on hard i echo legitimately everything max said um you took the words out of my mouth i mean to me it, yes it's suspendable but part of me is like it really isn't if you aren't gonna call the suban stuff so that's yeah. where i stand yep totally agree uh, Ottawa has placed Matt Murray on waivers. The team also picked up Adam got debt off waivers from Chicago. I think that's worth noting. Murray goes unclaimed on the waiver wire and is currently earning $6 million this season while carrying a $6.25 million cap hit. He's gone. Oh, five and zero with an eight, nine Oh, save percentage in six games. And we'll be headed to, uh, Binghamton. I think is their AHL affiliate. Yeah. Yeah. Harry. I mean, I kind of called this when they signed him. I, look, I love Muzz, but, you know, <laughs> I, I can't explain how he won two cups. I really can't. It makes no sense to me. He is uh, he's really falling off the wagon. So I hope I hope he uh, gets back into the league and finds a spot that maybe will suit him a little better. There's a lot of teams that need some backup goalies right now. I think I could think of one, not for $6 million, but um, he can definitely find a backup spot in the league, I believe. 
For sure. I think so too. I was a little surprised to see him go unclaimed. However, I, I do understand teams just wanting to wait until maybe he decides that he's willing to like forfeit that money and just sign a new deal with somebody for cheap. Um, so I do think we'll end up seeing that happen. There's no way we've seen Matt Murray play his last NHL game. That's for sure. No, I, I don't think so at all. Uh, the San Jose Sharks are waving Evander Kane, and they have, and he has cleared waivers. So he is expected to report to the AHL San Jose Barracuda. So it'll be interesting to see what happens there. Uh, I know that the Sharks uh, have expressed their willingness to deal this player and to retain half of his salary. So you would think someone who's struggling would take a chance on him, like Vancouver or Montreal or someone like that. He's yeah, going you would to think so. He's going to Vancouver. Can't he's hurt. Also from, he's also from Vancouver. So. Yeah. What do you have to lose if you're them? You absolutely suck. So you're not wrong. Uh, Bruins forward Jake DeBrusque has officially requested a trade from the team. He is expected to remain with the team while they figure this out. But uh, where do you guys see him ending up? This one's interesting. I've heard a lot of Bruins fans saying that they're really bummed out to see that this is the end for him with the Bruins and that he was apparently a locker room favorite. So it's it's, it's hard for me to understand why the guy wants the trade, especially if he's a apparently a locker room favorite. I guess it's just a classic case of feeling like maybe he's overshadowed. There's definitely a lot of offensive firepower in Boston. Um, some guys, you know, shine better. I mean, look at like guy like Andre Burakovsky, the caps let him go. He goes to the avalanche. Now he's one of their top forwards, but he wasn't really, he didn't have the space to kind of grow into that role with the Caps. So, you know, who knows, maybe this will be a situation like that. DeBrusque is a hell of a player. He he definitely needs a shakeup. So I'm excited to see that he wants to be traded. Where he's going to go, I feel like Harry is usually pretty good at speculating these kinds of things. I'm going to defer to him. Do you actually think that, or are you just saying that? No, I actually think I, you oh. usually have the hot takes when it comes to like, I don't know why, but I think this guy's going to go blank. I, I feel a Western Canadian uh, coming here. I don't know why. I Edmonton. do think Edmonton, Calgary. I don't know why he's kind of, I mean, he was a first round pick. Let's not forget. I do also think it's worth noting in the 2015 draft, the Bruins had the 13th, 14th and 15th overall pick in that first round. And none of the three players are now on the team. And DeBrusque is the only one who ever made the NHL. Who were they? Uh, Jacob Zaboral. Oof. Mm-hmm. Jake DeBrusque and Zach Sensation. Sensation. So they he might have gotten up. a sniff, but it, yeah, none of them really panned out. I yeah. could see, um, I could see Calgary more than I could see Edmonton, um, but I could also see like a Metro team because I feel like the Bruins want something that is in the Metro division for him. Philly, yeah, yeah, I could see that actually. I could totally see that Jersey. And if you want to make Bruins fans sick. You can remind them that they had picks 13 through 15, pick 16, Matt Barzell, pick 17, Kyle Connor, pick 18, Thomas Shabbat. Jesus. Um, and Joel Erickson Eck of the Wild at 20. Wow. So, yeah, they Jeez. missed some. They By missed the end of this there. episode, we're going to have no Bruins fans left listening to this podcast. We've been skewering Marchand and reminding them of all their teams' mishaps with GM stuff. So, sorry, Bruins fans. We, we love you still. Eh. Um, (laughs) (laughs) it was too easy yeah it was uh don't have any retirements to get to but before we get into some gambling news we want to talk a little bit about our friends over at sharp rank 
That's true. I can't chug while I read, so somebody else is going to have to do this one for me. But before we move on, we do just want to remind you that this season, all of our picks are powered by SharpRank. SharpRank created the first ever cross-sport rating system, ranking betters from any sport on one leaderboard that anyone can dominate, even you. SharpRank is backed by some of the biggest names in the sports gambling world, such as BetMGM, Betway, and Sports Illustrated. Download the free app for iPhone and Android today. And now I believe we're going to talk about some gambling. Harry? Sure. So I was a little bit out of the loop last week, being in a foreign country with bullshit internet, so I apologize. I wasn't super active on that and wasn't really following along too much. So uh, I've been back for probably five days trying to gather together some trends for you guys. Here's my big takeaway. I am finding right now that betting against bad teams is a better policy than betting on the good teams who are hot. Uh, Case in point, our big Columbus win the other day. Great value. They're playing a dented up Vancouver team who's been on a road trip. I think at the time they had lost like six of their last seven. And the money line was only minus 140 and CBJ was at home. That hit. Got the minus one and a half puck line at plus 175. That also hit on the empty net. So some really good value there. Uh, Mac, I believe you have uh, a puck line stat for us about the Montreal Canadiens. I do. This is a good one. And I I noticed this after the Caps beat them. I believe six to three was the final score the day before Thanksgiving. I got to go to that game and I was just thinking about how much of a dumpster fire the Canadians looked like in that game. And so I did a little research. Turns out, The Montreal Canadiens have played 24 games so far this season. 13 times they have lost by two or more goals. And out of those 13 times, 11 of them, they lost by three or more goals. So this is a team that has lost by three or more goals almost 50% of the time. That is pretty juicy odds for betting the opposite puck line. So that would be... Whoever Montreal is playing, take them minus one and a half, meaning that that team is going to beat Montreal by at least two goals. And honestly, this stat is so fat. If your book has it, take a look at the uh, the adjusted puck lines, or sometimes they're labeled, I believe, as reverse puck lines. Uh, and you might even be able to get their opponent like minus two and a half, which would mean that team needs to beat the Canadians by at least three goals. It's happened 11 times this year out of the 24 possible. So. Just wanted to throw that one in there. It's an interesting way to look at it, you know, betting on the the bad team versus betting on, you know, like a good team, which is what you would tend to gravitate towards. It's a little bit tricky. You know, you have teams like Arizona who they love to lose hockey games, but they love to lose one goal hockey games. You know, they make it really annoying and down to the wire. The Kings are great at that too. That's why I put them on my don't bet list. But yeah, I think this is a great stat to show that, you know, Vancouver is a dumpster fire and they can get lit up. But Demko will stand on his head at some points. So, but you know, with the Habs, this is a great way to go. Especially while they don't have Carey Price. Eventually, yes. we're going to see him come back. So ride this, ride this trend while you can. Yeah, I, that is a great stat, and uh, you know, it, it is tricky. I, I'm not a huge fan of like minus 200 money lines. I'm always going for value. So when you get those teams that are you know, somewhere in the 15 to 23rd place in the league, and they're taking on one of the bottom five guys, that's where the that's where the money's made. That's where you can get some decent value, like that Columbus pick the other day. I hate to keep coming back at that because I know that's just one win, but it's a what stands out in my head as a good example. A matchup like that, 
um, is definitely definitely worth taking a look at. Yeah, minus two hundred on a money line for a hockey game is is tough for me to justify. It's not like it's a college football game or even an NFL game where you're like, okay, you know, it's the Packers against the Lions. I think we all know how this one's going to end. You know, something like that. Right. A hockey game, we could go to overtime. It could go off someone's skate. It could click off the glass. You know, it's just like that one little bounce could end up, you know, sinking your boat. And we've talked about it on the show before, but it's why hockey is one of the most exciting sports for us three is because any team can beat any team on any given night. It doesn't matter if you got the Coyotes playing the Panthers or something like that. There's so many other factors that go on into it. Who's on the road, who's playing back to backs, whose backup goalie is playing, you know, are guys tired? Are they missing from COVID? Are they missing from injury? There's a lot of things that you got to look at. So um, you can't be too, trigger happy when you're hitting like a minus 250 puck line or money line rather the jets were minus 330 last night against the yotes and they lost one nothing so exactly. that should give you that should give you an case idea. in point yeah, yeah. it's just that's so it. typical of the jets too that's why they're also on my list <laughs> um all right on to some props jake gensel red hot riding the longest point streak active in the league right now he has a 10-game point streak after getting a goal against the Calgary Flames last night. He's the fourth player this season to record a double-digit point streak. If I had to guess, the other two probably have the names of McDavid, Dreisaitl, and maybe Ovechkin. I don't know. I don't know the other three, but I'm going to assume that the first two are at least in there. So Gensel to get a point last didn't, night, I believe. Didn't like DeBrinket or Kane have a decent one this year? I, I couldn't tell you. Okay. Um. I think last night for a point, he was minus 180. For a goal, he was plus 200, and he did get a goal. So um, something to keep a look at. Uh, the Seattle Kraken, after a really rough start, they are 4-1 and one in their last five, and they're putting up some goals. They had a big 7-4 win the other night against the Buffalo Sabres, so they're getting some pretty good value as underdog money lines. Yeah, something I was going to throw in there of those last five that they're four and one in, that includes wins over the Panthers, the Capitals, and the Hurricanes. Um, they actually puck lined the Panthers and the Capitals. They beat them both by more than just one goal. Um, this goes into what we were just talking about with a lot of hockey bets are very situational and you got to look at the greater picture. Seattle got lucky in that several times this year, they end up being the last game on a long West coast road trip for some of those East coast teams. It was the same situation for the caps and the hurricanes caps and the hurricanes both went and they played LA San Jose and Anaheim. And then that fourth and final road game was in Seattle and they both lost. And so look at those games, what teams are, you know, at the end of a long road trip, a lot of times that's a game where you're going to be a little sluggish, a little tired, you might just cough one up to the Kraken in their home arena. They've got an electric crowd, I've heard. So that home arena has, you know, whether their stats are great there or not, it's definitely playing a role. And that's one of those things you should try to be looking at the bigger picture. Yeah, that like, you know, three or four games of starting at, you know, 9 to 10 p.m. is not, you know, that's that's tough. I don't For know those how East you can Coast do that. teams, they're sniffing the smelling salts on the bench. They're, oh, really, yeah. they're doing what they can to stay invested in those games. And by the fourth one, especially like LA and, and Anaheim and San Jose, regardless of their, their records, they're all tough outs. They're all yeah. teams that are going to make you work for a win against them. And so you play those three teams and then you end up in Seattle might, might not be a bad bet. True. Uh, moving on the Maple Leafs, probably the hottest team in the league right now, other than maybe the caps, you could argue who's hotter. 
Uh, they're seven and zero in their last seven road games. So I use that stat because, as you all know, road teams get a little bit better value, especially when you're talking about upper echelon teams like top five. If you can get them on the road, a lot of times you can get them. You know, maybe you if they're at home, they're minus two hundred or minus two ten. You get them on the road, they're minus one seventy, minus one eighty. So not a huge difference, but something to keep an eye on. Uh, Tristan Jari, I would argue. Other than maybe Jacob Markstrom and Ilya Samsonov, the hottest goalie in the league right now, the Penguins under has hit five times in a row in his last five starts. I'm not a scientist, but when something happens at least three times, that's a trend. When something happens five times, that's, uh, dare I say, a, a lock? I mean, he's he's red hot right Pattern now. Pattern at the very least. It's another one of those situational things, though. Like you point out, you're going to want to see who they're lining up against that night. Is that going to be a team that could potentially get two by him? And, you know, then the Penguins get, you know, three or four, and then you're under toast. So if he's starting, yeah, definitely take a look at who they're playing that night because I think that's a solid bet. And I, I fucked up last night. I tweeted. I didn't tweet that we picked it, but I tweeted out like a trend. I like to do that sometimes. Um, the Pens did play the Flames last night. It was Jari versus Markstrom, the two hottest goalies in the league, arguably. I had a weird gut instinct that something was going to go wrong, and I just didn't do it. It was only at five and a half. It, if it was six, I probably would have done it. Um, but that game ended up being 2-1 in a shootout, and it hit. Six so. shootout, too. Yeah, uh, thanks for the reminder. Um, but, you know, you just got to keep a look on those things. And we'll, I'll tell you if we're publishing something as a pick and you'll know the difference because it'll start with like action for the night of whatever. I didn't tweet that out on that one. So um, just keep your eyes peeled. Follow us on Twitter if you haven't already. That's where we tweet all the trends. Um, the Senators, they've lost six in a row. The Islanders, eight in a row. They both have been coming off COVID outbreaks. Uh, it's tough sledding for them right now. Again, though, be careful with that, especially with the Islanders, because they're sooner or later going to have to win a game in that brand new barn. So just be a little wary, especially if the Islanders are playing at home. Yes, I think someone please check this for me. I think they're back in action tomorrow against. That sounds right. I know they're postponed tonight. So anyone know who that's against? If maybe you could look that up, but um, you got it. Just give me a second. Oh, yeah. Um, in the meantime, Florida, 11-1 and one at home this year. They do take on the Caps tonight. I'm extremely interested to see how that game pans out. But Florida at home, shit value, but 11-1 and one is nothing to slouch at. Islanders are actually not playing until Thursday. They have the Sharks on Thursday. And it's in Long Island. So mm-hmm. On. Am I huh? right on that? What you are it? correct. You said in. That really oh, triggers people. True. Okay. No, on. Right. no on. trust me. Like I didn't know either, but like, it's such a trigger for people. It on is. The island. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um, Nick can probably attest to that better than any of us. <laughs> as, as he just nods with a moping face. Um, and the last trend, the Rangers, they've been one of the best teams in the league this year so far. They're hot. They're a good hockey team. There's no denying it. They are about to open up on a three game homestand this week. Um, so they'll play three games at home against the Flyers, the Sharks, and the Blackhawks all before we have our next recording. I like them on all three of those games. I've been called out to be a jinx for the Rangers. All of you can shut up. Um, I haven't won a bet betting them in a while, so I don't know. I'm kind of leaning on taking so them you're those due. three games. So I'm who due. called you a jinx for the Rangers? I really want to know. Take a wild guess. <laughs> I love that. That's it's it's your fault, Harrison. That, that my hockey team is losing. I, you, you know, it's something you did, right? Had to have I'm, been the quarterback. 
I'm the human jinx. Apparently, that's what he calls me. Meanwhile, and I'm not trying to brag. I feel like I've been doing pretty good on the picks lately, but whatever. You've been solid, um, man. Yeah, I appreciate that. That's all I got. If you guys have anything to add, feel free. No, good. I like all those matchups. Um, quick, just recap on who's hot, who's not. Uh, Harry, like you mentioned, the Leafs are red hot, 9-1-0 in their last 10, 12-2-0 in the month of November, and tied a franchise record winning their seventh on the road. The Caps are 8-1-1 in their last 10, have won their last three, including games against Carolina and Florida. And then the Avs, they're 7-2-1 in their last 10. And all but one of the team wins for them have come in regulation. Nice. No, who's yeah. not? Who's not hot? The Islanders, we talked about that. 2-8-0 in their last 10 and loss of the, their last eight in a row, and they're 0-4-0 at home. That's going to change, don't worry. Um, did you guys see the tweet that was like, number of wins at the Islanders new arena zero. And it's like number of John Tavares wins in the Islanders new arena one. <laughs> wow. That's funny. And that did, yeah. uh, that didn't have like 8,000 comments on it of angry Islander fans. Um, the senators, they suck one nine and zero in their last 10, they've lost their last five in a row. And I think it's worth pointing out here that this team has the worst point percentage in the league by a lot. Yeah. Um, and then Vancouver, I know they did knock off Montreal the other night, but this team is still a dumpster fire. One, eight and one in their last 10. And uh, they're one in four in their last five. So not good things there in Vancouver. I'm sure that they're going to be doing something here soon. I don't have any stats with me here right now, but I'm going to add Montreal to that list too. They're a dumpster fire as well. Yeah. I um, honestly, I think they should be swapped with Vancouver for losing to Vancouver. Yeah. It's kind of weird. Cause like, Three teams in Canada absolutely stink, and then the other three teams are like legitimate cup contenders. So, yeah, way on the other side. Uh, State of the Union. Let's bring this back. Let's talk some caps, top some penguins. So, let's start with the caps. Last week, they were 3 0 0. On Wednesday, they knocked off the Habs 6 3. Mac was there. Um, Mac, impressions on the game at all? Happy with it, I would assume. It was a great offensive effort. Um, pretty good defensive effort too. You know, towards the end, it was just one of those things where we were up by a lot already. We got a little sloppy trying to go for odd man rushes and stuff. I think two of those three goals were like breakaways or odd man rushes that we got scored on. So it happens, but we looked very good overall and the Canadians looked painfully bad. Yep. Great game against the Panthers that Friday too, uh, knocking them off four to three. Uh, OV gets another hat trick in there as well. And then Sunday they knock off the hurricanes four to two OV scores his fourth consecutive goal for the caps. Um, Alexei Protus gets his first NHL goal and Orlov scores a great power play goal to break a two, two tie late in the third. So, uh, this week they have some tough ones coming up. They've got the Panthers here in about what, like, has it already started or there's a couple minutes it's going on it's right now? I got it on the TV here. So they've got that. They've got, um, the Hawks on Thursday. They have the blue jackets on Saturday, the fourth, and they have the ducks on Monday, the sixth. So that's, what's coming up before we will talk to you guys next. Harry, what do you got on the pens? So pens are five, one and one in their last seven. Uh, that one and one has happened in the last two games. So that's obviously not great for the team, but, uh, you know, we lost to a good Flames team last night in a seven-round shootout. Can't be too mad. They played like dog shit, and Jari basically stole a point. Um, the big problem with this team is we do not have a backup goalie. Casey DeSmith has not looked good all year long. He's 0-4 so far in the season. And he well, granted, we lost 6-3 to the Canadians this past Saturday. Two of those, I believe, were empty netters. So it's really, a, I mean, kind of a 4-2 loss, if you want my honest opinion on it. But nonetheless... If Jari's not in, we ain't winning. So they're going to have to make some changes there. 
I can't remember. I, I should know this. I can't remember if Louis Domingue is still in the AHL for us or if we released him. I feel like I might have saw something that said we released. I'll have to double check that. I apologize for not knowing. Um, but we are in desperate need of a backup goaltender. There's no way around that. Uh, How would you good, like Matt Murray? <laughs> for not $6 million, I would be okay with it. But um, the good thing for the Pens, they have the number one ranked penalty kill in the entire NHL at 90% right now. Uh, credit to McGinn, Zach Aston Reese, and Teddy Bluger. Sid, um, he has po- five points in his last three games. Look like he's starting to get back into form, so that's good news. Um, I think the team is on the verge of, you know, becoming a little more consistent. We've been pretty streaky so far. We started four, or we started like four and one, and I was hooting and hollering. And then the next week, I said our season's over and we're dead. And now it's not dead. So I don't really know what's going on. But when we get Malkin back. And Dumoulin's, you know, a little more adjusted after being on the COVID list. I think we'll be okay. Um, to this point, one fourth through the season, I would say the team MVP is by far Tristan Jari and Chris Letang a close second. So that's where we're at. Nice. Uh, real quick before we wrap up here, I wanted to talk about the Olympic uniforms that have been released over the last month or so. So Finland was the first one. I think they were like three or four weeks ago to do it. And then within this the last week, the U.S., Canada, and Sweden released theirs within like 15 minutes of each other. These have gotten just about the same reception, I would say, that the Devils uniform got. A lot of people are unhappy with the Olympic uniforms. I want to hear your guys' thoughts. Which ones do you like? What's the best? What's the worst out of these four so far? So to me, if I saw the correct ones, I believe that the Sweden and Finland ones were relatively true to what they normally wear, right? It's you know, Sweden's hasn't changed. It's yes, and it's the, the three crowns the on the blue. Finland ones the... were pretty good as well. I think. Yeah. Um, it's the U.S. and Canada that opted to go for some sort of like modern, like futuristic look. Both of them are bad. The USA looks like long sleeve shirts. It looks like a, it looks like a shirt that you would wear when you're warming up for your hockey game when you like first get to the arena. And yeah, they're bad. Uh, Canada's is just a little weird. A lot of people are saying that the the leaf looks like a marijuana leaf on the front. I don't disagree. <laughs> they did looks put a little like weird. they put like weird lines and like I don't know, just the way it was designed is just the not... black one for Canada. I could see looking all right on the ice. Like I I am curious to see these on the ice. I'm hoping they won't be quite as bad. But I think the number one word to describe both us and canada's jerseys is just underwhelming they're just it's disappointing yeah um you know i don't know if this is like an olympic thing but like what's you know throw that usa hockey logo on there that thing is awesome throw the hockey canada logo on there that's gonna be or one even of- the shield that was right. like a more modern one that they went with that i didn't mind like you said you texted us right after saying you know do this do this or bust and it was some of those classic old jerseys that usa has worn over the years so yeah. for why canada, they tried to mess with something that wasn't broken who knows but it's bad for canada this is all you have to do take the maple leafs jersey and make it red boom you're done done love yeah. it yeah that's that should be your uniform every single year for everything have a white one a black one and a red one you're done well i think in building off what you guys are saying finland and sweden their logos like never change so no. do you ever hear an outrageous reaction to their jerseys no because they keep no. it simple there's a tradition to it for some stupid reason don't mess with a classic yeah the united states somewhere in like 2010 or later than that i can't remember started doing this like soccer jersey look that's like a long sleeve i hate it i can't stand it 
if you made me pick the one jersey of the United States that might be okay, it's probably the white one. It's kind of hard to mess up a white USA jersey, but the other two are just horrible. I don't I don't like how they continued like the striping on the back, like underneath the numbers. Like that looks good when the Canadians do it and literally no one else. So, yeah. And as far as Canada's go, I I don't really think any of them look that sharp. If you made me pick again, I'd probably choose the white one. I don't even think the black one looks that nice, but worst United States best Finland case closed. Yeah, I I would have to agree. And I think you can put Sweden up there for a close second because there's barely changed, but it still looks good. Yeah, it, yellow and blue. It's simple. It's clean. It's yeah. classic. Um, anything else from you guys? We're probably after the interview. I'd probably run two and a half hours at this point. So <laughs> we'll if see. You're listen, Who knows? If you're listening, if you're listening, appreciate it. If you're Nick, uh, yeah, crack some coffee to get this one rendered on the computer. So yep. Um, any final word from either of you guys? Go buy our merch, like we said at the beginning. Support us. That's the best way you can do it right now. Stay tuned for more giveaways. I'm sure we'll have some of those coming to you soon. Do you guys have a good Thanksgiving? Did. Did. How about you? Yeah. I can't complain. Family came over. We hosted. So, you know, the usual amount of of craziness, but, you know. Went Italian this year. Did pasta and shrimp with like a lemon lemon basil. Okay. I I love that. Don't really. Stuffing's good. That's it. I'm sorry. Stuffing is so good. Yeah. It's like when it comes to Thanksgiving food, like give me the turkey, you know, give me um, my mom like roasts the turkey wings like two days before. And I like cover those in buffalo sauce, dusted them with a little blue cheese crumbles. And oh, my God, my life has changed. Sounds so good. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds phenomenal. Now I'm really hungry. The best Thanksgiving food is just gravy. Just give me like a two pound like gravy boat to myself that I'm just going to, it should just be my plate that I just dunk things in there like fondue, but (laughs) I couldn't agree more. Gravy is the shit. Yeah. That's all I got. Uh, That's all we got for episode 103. We appreciate you all listening. Thank you. Oh, Mac. I was just going to say moral of this episode. If you forget everything and remember nothing else, bet against the Montreal Canadians and gravy goes on everything. Yep. There you go. That That's it in a nutshell. Very well said. Uh, go check out the merch, like Max said, and that'll wrap it up for us this week. Without further ado, class dismissed. <laughs>